How's it going on this great Wednesday afternoon? My name is Hayden Joyner, and this is Off the Bench, your top sports talk show here on XLR, Land University Radio. I'm here with my co-hosts, as usual, Chris Fortenberry and Liam Worley. Guys, how are y'all doing? Good, doing man. Great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Liam, Chris, we have a we have a special guest on today. I'll let Very you introduce special. someone we've been wanting to get on the show for a while, so uh, tell me about it. There's been a lot of build-up to this moment. Uh, <laughs> I've had this professor since my sophomore year, I believe, and uh, or was it sophomore, or is this your second year? This is my second year. Okay, so... Yeah, junior year, but I've taken several of his classes. One of my favorite people on campus, Dr. David Fowler. Well, thank you for that vote of confidence, and congrats on your uh, on your hundredth show, guys. I've I've been uh, enjoying your podcast the past two years, so congratulations. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been it's been a big deal. We've been talking about it for the last couple episodes. You know, a hundred episodes this is one hundred and one. Next week will be our one hundred and second, our final episode. So, ending it on a on a fun fun stretch down this down the stretch and. Uh, We'll talk about Masters later on, Bristol Dirts later on as well with Liam. Uh, but first, we're going to kick off with some NFL talk. Not a lot of news coming out recently. We got the Ravens picking up uh, Odell Beckham Jr., finally ending that free agency saga. Just kind of got to tie the knot with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets now to finish off all those loose ends with, with free agency. But what we really wanted to look at immediately is do a little bit of a draft preview because longtime listeners of the show, you will know that next week is the week before the draft, and we usually reserve that week for our way-too-early predictions. So stay tuned for next week's show. Uh, we will be doing a lot of that. Looking forward to the 2023-24 NFL season. So uh, tune in next week at 6 p.m. for that. But, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. Uh, it's coming up in just a few short weeks, two and a half weeks to be precise, April 27th through the 29th, Thursday through Saturday will be the NFL draft. First round is Thursday the 27th. And what I wanted to look at with you guys is quarterbacks, wide receivers, skill position players this year that you know are going to fly in in the first round teams are going to get. Chris, you kind of said before the show, this is one of the more interesting drafts you've seen in the last yeah. couple of years. And uh, the first round, especially from all the mocks we've seen, it could go a lot of different ways, it's looking like. So we did a mock draft for a top 10 a couple uh, weeks ago. CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, we have a lot of guys. Uh, Anthony Richardson could all go number one. Will Levis has been in the talk for Funny. number one overall pick, but he's kind of fallen down the boards a little bit. So, Chris, I'll start with you because you're the one who kind of said it before the show. This is going to be a weird draft. What makes you What makes you think that? Well, I've never seen a quarterback list, like a, a set quarterback for this draft of where they could go switch up more than what I've seen for the mm-hmm. at least top three in Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, and Bryce Young. I mean, it, I've seen all over the place these mock drafts and these analysts and these experts talking about how this guy could go one easily. I mean, all three could go one. It just depends on you know what the organization's got up their sleeve, what they're thinking, and, and what they've done behind the scenes that we all haven't seen that makes them think that that's their guy. I mean, I've seen, uh, uh, was it Ryan Leaf came up and said, if you want to bet on somebody going number one overall, Mm -hmm. bet on C.J. Stroud, you're going to win some money. And then I see the next, the very next post that I see is, um, what's his name, Todd McShay saying Bryce Young is the tier one level player and it's a can't miss guy. You know, he's the top, he's the most ready to go. And Peyton Manning saying the same thing. He's talking to all these NFL guys, NFL GMs saying, Bryce Young is the most ready-to-go prospect in this draft. But then you got everyone talking about C.J. Stroud is the Panthers guy at one. And then you got Anthony Richards, Anthony Richardson with more talent than probably anybody in this draft, uh, just raw talent. Mm-hmm. But you got to you know piece him together as you go and see if he can become that elite guy. But again, you know, I've never seen – they've got uh, Stroud going one, Richardson going one, Bryce Young could go one. I mean, it's like – 
people are like, well, they're thinking between Stroud and Richardson, but they're probably going to go Bryce Young. You know, they're going to meet yeah. in the middle. And that's just the craziness. And then, you know, we've got all these talented receivers, and I've heard now as the draft mm-hmm. gets closer that most people are saying Jackson Smith and Jigba is the only receiver worth taking in the first round. Now, where does that put him? That, does that make his value so high that someone's going to have to go up early just to just to snag the, the talented wide receiver and mm-hmm. to, to get that piece to their offense, which we know in the, this modern NFL has become such a staple <clears throat> in these offenses to help these teams go on these long runs. Look at the Bengals. I mean, look at the Chiefs. They they usually load their receiving core Vikings. with talent. Yeah, yeah. Vikings. That's they what, went 13-3 that, with J.J. So. That's something I said on my mock draft a few weeks ago is that I had Smith and Jigba going 10 overall to the Bears. And – it's or nine or nine, whatever yeah. it was, yeah, wherever the Bears are at, and that's interesting to think about because with the with the quarterbacks, it's you're right. There's so much parity in the order between things. In the years past, we kind of knew, you know, oh yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going number one, yeah. Joe Burrow's going number one, and then it was a matter of who's the second and third guy. This year, we really don't know. If I had to put my money on it, if I had to bet the house on it, I'm putting C.J. Stroud in number one with the Panthers. There is a lot of the talks with Bryce Young and a little bit with Anthony Richardson. Will Levis was in there a few weeks ago. He's kind of fallen off a little bit. People even have Hendon Hooker going ahead of. Will Levis sometimes, even having Hendon Hooker come into the first round. I do think a lot of the Bryce Young talk going number one overall is some mind games being played by Carolina. I think they're trying to bait Houston into trading up with them to number one just so they can get a little extra cash out of it, fall back to two, and uh, get some, get some you know, a second-round pick in it, whatever you want to pull to get that number one overall slot. And then you're, gonna, you're still going to get C.J. Stroud number two if you're Carolina. I think there's a little bit of mind games going in with that. But with the wide receivers, and I had a lot of notes on the wide receivers for this show, especially, you know, a lot of people say Quentin, Quentin Johnson's maybe the number one guy in this draft. But a lot of people are saying Smith and Jigba could be number one overall. I think Njigba is the first wide receiver off the board in my mock draft. And there's just it's just kind of, yeah, like you said, that parody that's going to go on. I could see none of these. I could see no receivers getting drafted in the first round, and I could see five getting drafted in the first round. We really don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I see one. Definitely. I think Jackson doesn't fall past 12 just because there's an opportunity to pair him up with C.J. Stroud if he does go to the Texans. And I just I think Texans would easily take that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. We all know how chemistry works and how well it works for some of these teams. And um, I'm looking at a guy like Nolan Smith who fell off the fell off the radar a little bit and was projected to go late first. And now I think – he could be somebody picked in the top nine. I really do. I think with the, the combine he put together, I know he was hurt for this past year, but that's another thing that's going to just throw people off is this guy who everyone thought would go like late first, 20s, and 30s, and maybe even slip to the second round, could easily go into the top 10 with just his raw ability and what he did you know, a year and a half, two years ago on, on the football field. So, again, there's going to be some, some crazy picks in this top 10 that's going to shake everything up and put some of these teams into just a frenzy in their uh, little draft rooms. And it's going to be it's gonna be wild. It really is, just to see. Because I think the top ten is just going to set the tone for the draft of whether it's going to be craziness or exactly what we expected. And I don't expect anything but craziness in that yeah, top It'll 10. be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like every year we'll have, you know, at least the top ten mocked in the mock draft. Like, those are usually fairly consistent. I mean, a little, little deviation because, obviously, once you get further on in the teens into the second round, there's a lot of different – there's a lot of spreads of how the players will, will plan out. <laughs> But every year I see the top ten, I'm like, that's, that makes sense. It picks every team's need, makes sense for every team of who they're going to pick up. You know, I could agree with the full top ten list. And when I made my mock draft a few weeks ago and I saw when I saw y'all's mock drafts, it looked fairly right. You know, every, one, every time I see one come out, you know, C.J. Stroud won, Bryce Young two, the Cardinals getting Will Anderson, and, and you know, the Seahawks getting um, 
Tyree Wilson or some defensive piece. They all seem to make sense. And then every year, you know, the Giants will draft an offensive lineman 30 rounds too early or 30 picks too early. The Raiders will pick somebody who should be a fourth rounder. And every year something gets screwed up, and then the whole draft is blown wide open. Uh, you know, receivers will go in a different order. Quarterbacks will go in a different order. You know, we saw the trade up a few a few years ago from San Francisco all the way to get Trey Lance, which nobody really saw coming, at least them getting Trey Lance. We all thought – you remember we all thought Justin Fields was going to be a 49er. Like, we were all convinced. We were yeah. all convinced he was going to be a 49er. And then Trey, Trey Lance came out of nowhere, and Justin Fields goes to the Bears. So <clears> we really do not know. But um, when I want to kick off some questions here, we'll start with Liam. We'll go around the table. I want to do this. Um, with the quarterbacks, we talked about this a little bit. Um, we kind of have – can we all agree there's at least the four main guys? Five if we want to throw in Hendon Hooker, but it's really the four. Can we kind of agree on that? Yeah. For the most part, yeah. I mean, who's going to have the balls to pull the trigger out? Well, Levis is going to be interesting yeah, to see. Yeah, I, I think he's fallen back. He's kind of blurring the lines between that top group. But we'll, we'll stick with the main four <laughs> for now. Well, I mean, Liam, I'll start with you. What order do you truly believe they're going to go in? Not necessarily teams they're going for. But what order do you truly believe they're going to fall out? I think it'll be Stroud, Young, Richardson, Levis. And I think, I mean, honestly, I think you could throw Hooker over Levis. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easier to pull the trigger on Hooker than it is Will Levis. That's what probably is going to put him, just getting him drafted before Will Levis. It's yeah. just easier to pull the trigger on that kind of guy. But uh, I have, I mean, this is tough because I heard, I didn't get to say, but well, I have it now, that there was a, the source said that Frank Reich for the Panthers mm-hmm. wants Anthony Richardson but the organization wants Stroud. So that'll be interesting to see <clears throat> who gets their guy. I would imagine the majority would win that, but he is the head coach. Yeah, new he head has, coach, though, so how much say will he have? But he has made that comment where he hasn't had his guy, you know, yet. Yeah, that's so true, yeah. It depends on how much leeway they're going to give Reich. But I believe, th- my opinion, it's going to be Bryce Young, Stroud, mm. Richardson, Levis. I just I have this weird feeling with Todd McShay talking all his crap about how Bryce Young is the most ready-to-go Tier 1 player, and he's the only Tier 1 guy, that the Panthers are going to probably freak out and pick Bryce Young. They can't decide between the two, so they're just going to go Bryce Young. Mm -hmm. And then I think Stroud goes to the Texans, and I don't know where Richardson's going to land, someone who trades up to three. I think there's going to be a crazy team that trades up to three with the Cardinals. I don't know who it's going to be, but some team that could be far, far back or pretty close. I I think what I read was that Arizona's fielding like eight – I think eight different teams yeah. fielding calls for the number three overall pick. And I think they'd be smart to trade out of it if the quarterbacks are that big of a necessity, especially a team trying to jump, I think, Indianapolis at number four to secure Anthony Richardson because I think that's who they're going to go with if he falls to them at number four. You know, that's going to be val- that's valuable for Arizona, especially if they're going to get Will Anderson. They could go back to just five, six, and they'll probably get him. Yeah. but And then after three, I don't really care. I don't think any quarterback <laughs> is really worth being picked in the first round. In the first round, well. Yeah. Um, after that, yeah. After those three, there's no quarterback worthy of being picked in the first round. Yeah, I wouldn't even worry about it. Like, if I was a team, they're not good enough to make a difference, like a big difference, mm-hmm. and they're just going to take too much time. So, interesting. I would just get other pieces that are better and more necessary. Yeah. Dr. Fowler, how do you think uh, your top four going? Man, I, I'll tell you what. I, I couldn't talk about the other three but Stroud. Uh, Stroud would be my number one. Uh, and I'll be honest with you guys, as far as the draft's concerned, I haven't been up on it too much right now. But uh, Stroud, uh, I agree. I agree with both of y'all in that. Um, 
but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, uh, I don't know what's going to happen this year. Uh, it's going to be, of course, you know me, I'm a big Cowboys fan, and mm-hmm. now Zeke is gone, and and uh, we do not need a quarterback, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, Stroud, uh, that, be my, that would be my pick, man. Uh, yeah, ideally Dallas trades up to three or four and go ahead and gets – Stroud, if he's there, yeah, we go up to three. Yeah, Great. that would make my that would make my <laughs> my year. I would I would love that. Great idea. Well, I think with with the four, I had my mock draft. I had Stroud, then Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson going to the Colts, which kind of seems you know against what Indianapolis typically does with their quarterbacks. If you look at the you know the type of guy they've had in the last couple of years, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, they're all kind of cut from the same cloth, pretty much. And I think Will Levis falls into that category a little bit better, or a lot better than Anthony Richardson. But with uh, yeah, with ho hum, yeah, yeah. But uh, with Steve Sarkeesian going there uh, from from Philadelphia as their new head coach or offense coordinator, whatever he ended up at, head coach, right? Did you say Steve Sarkeesian? Who am I thinking? I'm saying that's the wrong. Yeah, not I'm Steve Sarkeesian. He's, 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 he's college. I knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew I said the wrong name. What was the Eagles Eagles offensive coordinator's name? Uh, it's like SS two. Yeah, it's something like that. I don't uh, know. I didn't remember his name. I thought I had it on my notes from last week. I'm gonna figure it out. But the way they're wanting to run it down there, um, I think they're just gonna they're gonna. They're going to go with. I mean, they need change, so yeah, they need to try something different. I mean, how long can you keep using these old washed? Shane Steichen. There you see, it's SS. Same thing. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, same same thing. I mean, one guy's head coach Texas. Yeah, yeah. I knew as soon as I said it. I knew (laughs) as soon as I said it. I was like, that doesn't sound right. And then I was waiting for y'all to correct me because you'd know it. Yeah, Uh, Shane Steichen. They have him now as head coach for the Colts. He's obviously coming from from the Eagles and the system they won't they run. I think they're gonna get Anthony Richardson to pair up with Jonathan Taylor and have that kind of run first offense there in Indianapolis. And then he's got a cannon too. I yeah, mean, he's got a heck he's, of a He's arm. the most raw talent, and I think if you need to find somewhere for him to develop a little bit, Indianapolis isn't the worst place in the world. <laughs> they maybe they should have kept an older guy if they could have kept Matt Ryan uh to develop him or not. But do they still have Matt Ryan on the on the roster? No, he's they, a free no. agent. I he's think. a free agent, yeah. yeah I couldn't remember if they got him. Kept Des him was out. telling me he wants him to retire as a Falcon. It's not a one-day contract. Yeah. 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 He'd probably rather him get there and play. I'm like, no. no. (laughs) You do not want uh, Matt Ryan playing any longer. Would he do better than Desmond Ritter? Matt Ryan going back to Not too many people wouldn't do better than Desmond Ritter. I think he's pretty uh, Mm. garb as well. Yeah. He he looks like he's 47, and he's, what, in his second year in the NFL? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, look at Trey Lance. He's getting that way, too. Did y'all see his hairline? No. (laughs) It's gone. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> Trey Lance is 22 years old. He has no hairline anymore. Yeah, he's younger than. Isn't he younger than like some of the guys getting drafted this year? I, I feel like Hen, so. I think Hendon Hooker is 23, and yeah, I mean Hen, Stetson Bennett. Yeah, Stetson. Yeah, Stetson's older still. Yeah. I think his draft stock got hurt a little bit by the arrest, but I don't think he was a little bit drafted anyways that high. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he got bust. You know, he got burnt from the fifth round to the sixth round. Now it's not not going to affect his career too, too much. But hey, you know what? That means Dallas will get him in the fifth round and plug him in when Dak Prescott tra- <laughs> no, you know, no. poops out. Then you hold on to Stetson we re-signed Cooper. We re-signed Cooper Rush. That's yeah. right. And Will Greer's behind him, so we're set. Will <laughs> Greer. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just saying we got three quarterbacks on the roster. We'll be, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. They'll be fine. Uh, well, <laughs> what, uh, with those other guys, I mean, Hendon Hooker, do we – He's not going to be a first rounder, we don't think. Even if he, he jumps, I mean, he do you think he be. could jump Will Levis? Yeah. I mean, with that, do you think Levis has fallen out of the first round for a lot of people? No. Because no. I think after you get past the top ten, kind of with the Raiders, you know, you kind of fall into no man's land of will a quarter, will a team like maybe Tampa take a quarterback in the first round, and if not, will they just kind of can they think that they can wait to the second and other teams going to try to jump them? 
Someone's definitely going to draft Will Levis in the first round. You, you pretty sure? Oh, my God. I yeah. mean, there's plenty of dumb executives in the NFL. Somebody will do it. Yeah. I mean, he's projected to go in the top 15 in, like, every mock draft. So, he'll go. He'll go in the first round. I mm-hmm. mean, someone, like, every time these guys get overhyped, they always get drafted. Zach Wilson never should have even been in the first three rounds. but And he was picked second overall because everyone said, watched him make one throw with no pressure on him in a pro day. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this kid is something special. <laughs> and now we see him on the Jets, and he's a horrible quarterback and even a worse leader. So that just – You have it out for him. No, you I mean, really I, do. I can't stand it when, you know, these guys get picked really high and they have no business being picked high, and anyone could have told you that. Yeah. I mean, this guy's cocky for no reason. He went to BYU playing trash opponents and really didn't stand out to me at all in college. He gets to his pro day. He makes one throw across his body, rolling to the left. And everyone thinks he's something special. Goes to the Jets, and now look at him. They're desperate for a quarterback and doing everything they can to get Aaron Rodgers there, just so they can win a playoff game. I mean, they've they got the what the longest streak right now without going to the playoffs. Yeah, it seems like what since since the uh, Sanchez years. Sanchez right? years, yeah. It's yeah, been which a is, while. Yeah, so there you go. You know, I mean, plus I'm you know still a little, little salty about Fields getting bumped to like the fourth quarterback taken in that draft, which he had no business being taken fourth overall. Yeah, as a quarterback, you know. Could be the best one out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, you never know. And he's in the worst situation, I think, of all of them. So, I don't know. I just think uh, Hayden Hooker, they had, like, rumors saying he could go to Seattle. I think they pick at, what, five? Uh, Seattle? Yeah. yeah, five. They say he could go to Seattle at five. He can go to any of those places. And To me, it's not worth picking any of those two in the first round. But I'm not a GM. I don't see everything that they see. But from what I've seen with my eyes, wouldn't wouldn't think that picking either one of those guys in the first round is, is a worthwhile pick with all the talent that's out there elsewhere, defensively you, and all. Well, outside of those of those main four, you know, including Levis, we'll include Hendon Hooker in the top five because we think he I think he's kind of a solid, you know, he's a, he's ahead of guys like Max Duggan. Obviously, oh, yeah. yeah, I think he's kind of right in there that mid range. <laughs> Do we feel like there's going to be any guys in this draft that? you know, could pan out in the long run that aren't going to be one of these top guys. I mean, we saw Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. He's now going to get, you know, the starting job in San Francisco over Trey Lance, who was a first-round pick. They traded three first-round picks for a couple of years ago to, to snag up. Do you think anything like that could potentially happen with any of these more long-range candidates? I mean, it's always possible. It's always possible. It depends on the system you go to, how much work you're willing to put in. I mean, we've seen Tom Brady. I mean, he really never should have panned out and he went to a perfect system, worked his butt off, and it, now he's the greatest of all time. So... It could always happen in that way. Um, there's no way to call it. There's, yeah, I mean, there's no way of telling. I mean, it just depends on if where they go works out for them and is the perfect place for them to go for them to shine. Uh, obviously, it worked for Purdy. He went to a great system with a great offensive-minded coach who could help him develop quickly and put him into a situation where he could impact the team at a, in a playoff level, and he did that. And he has teammates around him who play at a very high level to help him you know, boost his game. You go, you're throwing a Debo Samuel, George Kittle. You got uh, Christian McCaffrey. You're handing the ball off to a great offensive line and the best defense in the NFL. That's a good spot to be in if you're a rookie quarterback, you know, and trying to win some games and, mm-hmm. and give yourself a name. Yeah. So it all depends on the situation you go. If he went to the Texans, nobody would even know about Brock Purdy. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, everyone, would, the Iowa State fans would know about Brock Purdy. That's that's where he went, right? Yep. Yeah. And nobody would, would care about Brock Purdy. Yeah, well, now, I mean, he's the he's the man of the hour now. I had the big playoff run. He's going to take over Trey Lance. Something I, I have thought about recently with, with San Francisco is, you know, you're kind of in this conundrum now with Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. You have both of them. I think they're going to kind of keep Lance to just see, you know, if 
if Purdy doesn't pan out, you know, he is, after all, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, you know, last pick of the draft, and, and he's competing with the, a guy that was, went, what, third overall, mm-hmm. Trey Lance, three first-round picks for Trey to get to him. So there is a lot of that kind of that internal bias towards Trey Lance. You know, I don't think you keep Brock Purdy around to see if Trey Lance pans out or not as b- Brock Purdy to keep as a backup, but you will keep Trey Lance around as a backup to Brock Purdy just in case, you know, his success kind of just falls off a cliff. Uh, but if you were San Francisco, do you do you keep Trey Lance in the long term? Or I mean, he's still on his rookie contract, obviously, but you try to see what you can get for him before he kind of screws himself up. Because after all, he's only played, like, what, two NFL games? Not many. One of those was against the Bears in a monsoon. The, the other one, he played, like, a quarter before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of tape on him, which isn't a good thing, but there's also not a lot of negative tape on him. Which is a good, which is a good thing. So, I mean, to any of y'all, do you think that you know the 49ers maybe sell him out at this draft, maybe sooner? Because he's kind of just in a weird spot. I feel like. Yeah, I guess it all depends on what Shanahan sees, because he's seeing it something that we're not seeing every day, and that's him in practice, and how he's you know coming back off of this injury, and, and how he's going to perform with the team mm-hmm. and gel with the team. I didn't seem like the team loved him all that much, because they sure <laughs> seemed happy when Jimmy G came in and was was playing again. And yeah. I think they really rallied behind Purdy and like his his leadership style. But I think the best way to handle this is give it you know one year, let these two battle it out. Whoever does win the job and does the best for the team, you keep. Who doesn't? You ship them off and get everything that you can because someone's going to pick one of those two up because mm-hmm. they're going to feel like they're young and they can develop them and they've seen them play, you know, at a high level. I think you'll you'll see flashes of Trey Lance play at you know what you'd say a high level. Yeah, and they're gonna get him. They're gonna get the most out of him that they can. But. Well, it's kind of an argument I've seen. I, I had I had talked with with a few buddies the other day about it, and it's it was it was because of the Jeff Akuda trade going to Atlanta, and it's kind of the gamble you play with, you know, throwing a, you know, a late a late pick, a fifth, a sixth, a fourth round pick towards a guy with high upside, you know, a first round guy who's let go off his rookie contract. That's what happened with Jeff Akuda. He went to Atlanta for what a fifth rounder, I think, yeah, which is correct. which is you know nothing and I don't think Trey Lance will go for that little I think if someone tries to trade for him it's going to be a first at minimum because of the potential that he potentially has but I think there is this kind of argument that you see a lot in in Dallas especially as a team that uh next comes to this you know they screws up a lot and it's draft it's getting these older guys or younger guys high upside guys for low picks especially these first round guys like Jeff Kuda and a lot of the time I feel like it doesn't pan out very well so like you said Kyle Shanahan's seen Trey Lance in practice. He sees how he does. And if the 49ers, who get to see him every day for hours a day, don't have faith in him being the starter, why do you think another team should have faith in them? Unless they just think that they can bring out more potential in a quarterback than the San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan offense can. Offense can. I don't know if another team you know, should try to believe in that. It's kind of with, with the Jeff Okuda thing. You know, If Detroit wants to let him go, and some teams like, oh, you know, he's a first round guy. He was a top ten guy. You know, we can totally extract his performance. We're getting a top ten pick for a fifth rounder. That's super, that you know, that's a great value deal. Detroit saw him every day. They saw how bad he was doing, you know, potentially. And another team wanted to make the gamble for it, sure, but I doubt it pans out for him. And I don't know if it'd pan out for Trey Lance if he went somewhere else either. I almost can have a very negative feeling about him because if he's only played two games, had no flashes there, which wasn't totally his fault because of injury and weather and stuff in some of those games. We already know he didn't play a lot in college. How much, you know, of that rust is going to build up, how much of that potential is kind of, you know, withered away in, in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got to look at a lot of other factors, though, because you got sometimes these guys just need a change of scenery. You know, these guys need a new environment. And they're just they're just not they don't like where they are. They don't mesh well. They don't have the. Could the, be true, yeah. Yeah, the leadership. Maybe Trey Lance. Yeah. I mean, Trey Lance could be a better player than Brock Purdy, 
but maybe they think Brock Purdy's a better leader. And I'd want to. I don't know about y'all, but I'd want a better leader um, who could who could win me games still. Which Brock they, Purdy I mean, did. Yeah, I mean, they rallied behind Brock Purdy. I yeah. think it beat us, and it worked pretty good for them. Yeah, so. I mean, I want a guy who can lead and a guy who plays at a high level. And if Trey Lance is only playing at a high level but ain't meshing with the team and ain't leading, how many how many games did he play in college? Like one season. Yeah, I think that's for North Dakota State. Yeah, like, right. how much experience? Ex- exactly, remember that. Does he's he really from North have North Dakota State? Yeah, I mean, not not to mention how much experience on a football field does he have? Like in the college ranks, which wasn't even you know the top tier Division One. It wasn't a Power Five or a Group Five school. And how much experience does he have there? And how much experience in the NFL? It's less games than you know a normal NFL quarterback gets in a season. So not even the rest of the quarterback, but the rest of being a leader. I think that does play in part because Brock Purdy's fresh off of you know being, you know. Run, doing that playoff run, having the entire team behind his back. And Trey Lance is kind of, you know, having to be stuck behind him because of injury, being stuck behind Jimmy Garoppolo because of favoritism there. You know, how much of that's just withered away with him, really? I don't know how much potential you could really extract from him after this. It all depends. It's a weird what, one. What it's it's a really think? weird situation. I mean, if I mean, I'm with I'm with you on what you said. Like, if Brock Purdy, you know, he didn't lose a game while being healthy. I mean, yeah. the game he did lose, he got hurt in fairly good. early in yeah, the game. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I he would be my number one guy. And then you've seen Trey Lance kind of consistently get hurt as well. So, you know, if, you know, you end up shipping out Brock Purdy and you start Trey Lance, you know, that could be an issue. And then what are you going to back up to? Because you're going to want to get some capital for one of them eventually whenever that does happen. So I think I think they'll kind of do what you said to where they will kind of duel and practice and stuff this year. And then whoever gets the starting job will more than likely be kept as long as they stay healthy. And then they'll ship the other one out at the next possible opportunity to get what they can. For sure. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked at something you said a second ago, though, Chris. You were talking about the leadership aspect mm-hmm. of it. And we've had this conversation over and over and over <laughs> again. Uh, but you saying that, the, you know, the leadership part on, on the field is, is – right. um, to me, I think it's the most the most prevalent thing for a quarterback. Correct. And we've had that conversation about Dak Prescott. But now you're telling me that leadership – the leadership on the field is, should be the number one. Oh. But I also did say I want a quarterback who can lead and win me games. Ah. Dak Prescott may might lead and mesh well with the team, but he doesn't win games. I mean, Brady well, he led. Wins, well, he wins regular season games. Is yeah, what but mean. he don't win playoffs. He doesn't, he doesn't win, win the big games, games there. I'll clear it. Before I bring up the stat of him being like number third in all time for win percentage. <laughs> no, but I'd rather have Eli Manning who goes 9-7 <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the yeah. playoffs. I, I was just, I was just making Bowl. sure you stayed correct there. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'd yeah. rather have Eli who goes 9-7 in the regular season but wins a Super Bowl yeah. than Dak Prescott who might go 14-2, 13-3. Yeah. I know it's 17 games now, but yeah, I, I'm, I, get, I'm I, I get it, yeah. But and, and loses me first round or second round. Like, that that doesn't benefit me. That puts me far, far back in the first round of the draft without me getting any success. Without any rewards for me. I, yeah. yeah that's, like, that's like giving me the best cut of steak you can possibly give me, but I get one bite of it. Like that doesn't do me anything. I don't get any. I don't get any satisfaction. I get one good bite, and that's all I get. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You want the bad steak that fills you up, not one good. I mean, I want. A, I want. A, I want a full good steak better than one bite of a really really good steak. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Fair like, enough. Fair. Eli Manning got two Super Bowl rings, and he went what nine and seven one year. Yeah, and he'll be in the Hall of Fame because just of that. Yeah. Exactly. But hey, he's a winner. He went there and he beat Tom Brady, the undefeated Pats. Yeah. Dak, Dak doesn't. He's been seven years now, man, and nothing. He's got nothing. He's got Walter, what, Walter Payton Man of the Year? 
That's what he's got? Yeah, he's got that in Rookie of the Year. There you go. That's, that's Congrats. the ice. I mean, yeah. he's a great guy. He's he's a, a slightly more talented Tim Tebow. That's that's what you got. He's a wow. great leader. So bad. He's a great guy. So bad. He can <laughs> sling the football in the regular season, but he dang sure can't win in the playoffs. Dr. Fowler, have you heard Chris's theory that the best way to build a team is not to bring in the best players possible, but is to have a really good quarterback with a bunch of grocery store clerks and have him win, <laughs> win, the, win the whole thing by himself? I mean, that's what Joe, that's what Joe Burrow did with the Bengals. I mean, he, he took a... He took a team that had nowhere near the talent Dallas has had yeah. in the past two years yeah. and took them all the way to the Super Bowl. To me, that's that's a quarterback worth having. That's a quarterback worth keeping and building around. Not a guy who you've put every piece around and he still can't find a way to win and take you to the, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Or even the conference championship. That's all we're asking from Dak. Go to a conference championship. Don't even go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> go to a conference championship. That's just I, – I, Dak can do what he can. I think it's partially a curse. But not curse. Oh my gosh, well, not a curse. It's it's a Jerry Jones yeah. GM curse. Jerry Jones I'm Jerry Jones sold his soul for those Super Bowls in the nineties and it will bite us until the day sure he dies. Is. That's how, right. that's what's gonna happen. You believe in the superstitious. If you talk to a New York New York Jets fan, they also believe in superstitiousness and you know, they believe they're cursed. I'm sure the Browns think they're cursed. And the Cowboys. If you don't are cursed. think it's superstitious, you at least got to think it's a little stitious. <laughs> a little stitious, yeah. It's. I don't know. I, it's just you should know when it's time to move on, and it's it's time to move on, Dallas. It, it, it <laughs> so you is. trade up number three this year? Do something. I wouldn't Get trade anybody. up this year. Nah, next year. Would you be more happy if da- if Dallas stayed the way they were, or if they traded up number three to draft Levis? That's horrible. I mean, but you get rid of Dak. You're replacing a turd with a turd right there. That's oh, what you're, but you get rid of Dak. That's what you're doing. I mean, you're that is all you're getting. I mean, Will Levis is is might even be worse than Dak, which is shocking. I mean, you watch that guy in college; he's a bum. Yeah, he's a. That's what you get when you put I'm mayonnaise also, in your coffee. I'm also a Kentucky fan, so this is kind of a. Oh, double, are you? Yeah, this okay. is a double-edged sword. For, okay. Or not really double. This is just like a the massive sword Kristen just shoved into my throat every <laughs> single week when he talks about Levis and Dak in the same <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Not cool. good. Well, uh, getting Yikers. yeah, getting back to the draft here. Uh, <laughs> this, this this can concern the Cowboys. I know Chris wants to continue on that, but with with some of the skill position guys, we talked a little bit about it earlier with Smith and Jigba, and with. Quentin Johnston and all these receivers in this draft. This is a year that you could have five guys go in the first round. This is a year you could have zero of those guys go in the first round. And something I've noticed, which I'm sure you know, y'all have a little bit over the course of this draft season as well, is this is a year with a lot of receivers who are very tiny. You notice that? Well, like, Quentin like Johnson. Besides, I'll just say yeah, outside yeah. of Quentin Johnson, who's six four six five, everybody else is kind of on on the low end. Well, some, what's Jackson like? Five ten, five eleven? Uh, let's where is he? Might number? even be six. I don't know. Uh, he's listed on for PFF at six one, but I don't oh, know if sh- I there you I don't go. know if I believe that. I think he's six one. I think he's six one. Yeah. I mean six one. Josh Downs five ten. Another high aspect. Jordan Jordan Addison's only six foot. Zay Flowers five ten. You know, a lot of these. I wouldn't guys. say they're that tiny. I mean, your top three guys are six six five, six one, six foot. I mean, Jamar Chase is six foot. Is he really? Yeah. Look at him on the thing. He's only like six foot six one. I think. Yeah. I I just feel like I don't know. I've, just just as a thing, I feel like a lot of them are small guys. I mean, Jigba's gonna be the first guy overall, and he's he's a slot guy, really. And you don't see that a lot in the NFL. I mean, you can play him anywhere, but he he does well in the slot. I think he's yeah, he's best in the slot. I, I you don't see that a lot, very often in the first round of drafts, and with him potentially being a top ten guy, Quentin Johnson's kind of been prone as the number one wide receiver in this draft draft class, which I don't see. I still think Jigba gets kind of the nod, you know, partially because oh, went to gosh. Ohio State over TCU, but I do have my my own worries about Jigba going as well. I have none. I mean, if you got Brian Hartline, who to me is 
the best receiver coach in the world. I mean, it's obvious what he's done in the past two to three years with who he's recruited and the talent that he's put out, yeah. like three, four straight thousand-yard receivers. I mean, that's phenomenal. And he's saying that this is the second best guy he's ever coached. He's mm-hmm. putting him over guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, yeah. who just had thousand-yard seasons with bums at quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yeah, I'd, I'd take this guy in a heartbeat. Yeah, if I needed a receiver, this is the first guy I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, just based just based off that list right there. If I saw what Garrett, what Garrett Wilson did and Chris Olave did, and the trash quarterback systems that they were put in, and still had thousand yards, I'm taking this guy in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's 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 a monster. Playing with Olave and Garrett last season, he uh, he, he proved effective. Not a lot of not a lot of work this year, obviously. Yeah, he's he hurt all year. His, his injuries this year. I just think I don't think he's going to be a bad player. I think if anything, of all these you know, of the main wide receiver prospects. I think Njigba has the chance to be a 10-year vet down the road the most of anybody. And partially it's because I think he's just going to be a very solid slot guy. I think that's where he kind of, you know, that where he makes a lot of his bread and butter. That's where he's the most successful. And it's just kind of interesting to me because you don't see a lot of those slot guys going early on in drafts. It's usually the first rounders are, you know, the Jamar Chase, the Devontae Smith kind of character, you know, the bigger receiver, deep ball threat, you know, high, high deep speed. A lot of that kind of stuff, explosive guys. And with Njigba, you know, great route running. He's got all of that. But he only ran like a 4.5240, not the fastest in the world for receivers. And once you get to like like the 100 meter, he falls in a little bit lower amongst a lot of the guys. And I just think I think a lot of the time with this with this next year, he's just going to be a good slot guy. So I think that kind of pertains to what team he's going to get drafted think, to. That I think you're looking into the slot thing too much because he played slot at Ohio State. But you got to look at Marvin Harrison Jr. is – they said the best receiver. Yeah, yeah. he's the real monster. Yeah, well, he, you know he's going to play the slot this year at Ohio State. So yeah. just because he's playing the slot doesn't mean he's only going to be a slot mm-hmm. guy. I think th- I think you can put Jackson anywhere across the field and he can burn you. But I mean, you're probably going to get the most out of him in the slot just because he's so talented uh, as a receiver. Most guys yeah. who's covering the slot just aren't going to be able to keep up with him. He's just going to torch you. So, mm-hmm. but I think you can put him anywhere. At the receiving position, you can put him on the outside. You can put him inside. It don't matter. I think he's yeah. just going to do, well, do really well. Well, my th- my thing with Njigba is, and again, I'm not saying he's bad for being in the slot necessarily. He's played 85% of his snaps last year from the slot, and even the year prior when he had the, you know a majority of the season, he played with Garrett Wilson. He played Chris Olave. He was still in the slot then. Obviously, those guys are more outside. Right. But then this year with them gone in the limited time he played, he still played only in the slot. And yeah, you have Marvin Harrison there, but you would have thought he would have you know with those guys gone, he could have shifted outside and improved a little bit more out there as well. And with an 85% uh, snap rate from the slot, uh, the number I have here, that's a huge outlier from first round first round wide receivers that have been drafted in the last couple of years. The only one that's even close to it is around the 60, 60% range, which is Jalen Waddell. And the only reason he played from the slot is because he had to play with guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and, and Devontae Smith in the time that he was at Alabama. Well, that's the same thing with Jackson. Yeah, well, I'm saying with Jackson, once those guys but left, any of those, any he of those, still played the slot. Any of those slot guys have 350 yards receiving in a game? Did Jalen Waddell do that? No. Exactly. This, yeah. this is a different beast. I mean, this is a totally different beast. You're seeing something that you haven't seen. because those, The reason those slot guys aren't getting drafted, number one, is because they didn't put up 350 yards receiving in a, in a bowl game, in yeah. a Rose Bowl game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's no, what I, you're getting. I, I think this guy's going to – I think Smith and Jigba will be really good. I just think it's very interesting. Like, I, I kind of compare him to, like, CeeDee Lamb, really, in this draft. CeeDee Lamb's kind of the guy that's – you know, he's made a lot of that impact in the slot, especially in his first year with Amari Cooper. He's now had to play on the outside a little bit. But I think with the addition of Brandon Cooks, the Cowboys are going to bring in. He'll be on the outside. C. Lamb can have a little bit more snap rates from the inside, which is where he makes a lot of his a lot of his plays happen. Like if you think of any highlight reel of C. D. Lamb, and I know you know this, it's him getting 
across 20 yards downfield, across the middle, yeah. a middle of the playing pitch, and getting absolutely murdered and making those contested catches. I think yeah. that's the exact player in Jigba will be. I, I agree with that. I mean, he finds space in the middle and can do. He actually can do a lot with his legs, believe it or not. I think. Uh, I think he's going to be talented. I'd love. I would have loved to have seen him going to Dallas. I was thinking he would have that chance to get picked there. Yeah, uh, it could have been when the mocks first came out. But then he started growing. His draft mm-hmm. stock started going higher. I don't think he's going to fall past 15 now, which is unfortunate. But maybe I don't know. Maybe somebody trades up to get him. I, I highly doubt it. But uh, I was really hoping he would go to Dallas and kind of be the slot threat there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you you know because you got CD on the outside and hopefully Michael Gallup Gallup returns it for him as well as Brandon Cooks being there now. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen now that you sign Brandon Cooks. Yeah. But uh, I think he could be a, a, a key piece to whoever gets him. I'd, I'd love to see him pair up with Stroud again, but uh, we'll see. I don't, I don't know if that'll happen or not. What do you, what do you think of, of Quentin Johnston right now? Because he's, he's kind of looking like a lot of the mocks I have now, they're, they're saying he's a top 10 guy. I think he's They're like, saying he could be the first. He could be the first receiver, or not necessarily the first, but the best receiver in this class. He's got a lot of upside because of his size and his frame. But mm-hmm. then you see him play against Georgia, and he was just a complete non-factor. One reception, three yards against Keely Ringo. Yeah, yeah. And we saw Keely Ringo get torched in a half by Marvin Harrison. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Six for 102 and two touchdowns by a guy you know who's not even in your class. He's he's going to come out the next year. Yeah. And, and he played good against Michigan, but a lot yeah, of that did. was was yak. You know, right. he had a lot of yards after catch underneath stuff. He didn't a lot of you know kind of easy separation on a lot of those plays. And from what I've noticed, you know, he's kind of a yards after catch merchant necessarily in this league, which is weird for a six five guy. Yeah, you think for a huge guy with, for a huge guy, you think yeah he's gonna be deep threat. But third in yards after catch, he has about nine in twenty twenty two eight point nine yards after the catch, seven point seven for his entire career. But uh, for like the sideline passes, contested catches a lot of those times. He's 108th out of 140 qualified receivers in that category for 2022. 108th in contested catch rate. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think he does have potential, but there's are are some concerns. Have you seen like his drop numbers? No, I have not. It's at, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Uh, from the stores I had, more drops than touchdown catches last year, and only two first round receivers have been drafted with drop rates higher than him or higher. Higher than ten percent in the final in their final uh, NCAA qualification season in the last couple of years, and those two guys are fellow TCU uh, Horn Frog Jalen Rager. You know who he's an, he's an excellent excellent NFL player. Uh, he had a fourteen percent drop rate in his final year of college, and then uh, the Golden Go for Minnesota uh, Rashad Bateman. He had a fourteen point three percent drop rate in his final year of college. Quentin Johnson had eleven point eight, so a little down from those, but still pretty bad over that ten percent range. And, uh, and, yeah, like I said, in some of the bigger games he played, George's Keely Ringo especially, the guy that's going to, you know, body him up, pressure him. That's what he's going to see a lot in the NFL as well. He won one reception for three yards. So I, I'm not too there's high some con- There's some concerns yeah. I have for him, yeah. But I, I, I had to put it that way, yeah. I think your first-round guys are probably the ones that I would consider in the first round is Jackson, Addison, and maybe Zay Flowers. Mm-hmm. I think that's your that's your that's probably your best bets. I like Flowers. Yeah, I think I he do. could be the sleeper. A sleeper pick, but uh, I think Addison, he's a Blitnikoff winner. Obviously, very, very talented, good route runner, I think, from what I've seen on his highlights. Yeah. And he, yeah. I don't think he drops too much, and obviously did well with Caleb Williams. So I think he probably should go, like, you know, in the 20s. Uh, that's where I see him going. Um, Jackson probably in the teens. Anywhere from maybe nine as soon as – that's just a Bears pick to pair him up with uh, Fields, <laughs> which is just, you know, a stretch. Uh, but I think anywhere from 10 to – to 20 is where you're going to see him go 
and then anywhere from 20 to 30 for Addison. Uh, and then maybe sneak in another Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, if they feel like taking a chance. But that's what I think you're going to get out of the receivers. What are your guys' thoughts? I like Josh Downs the best, actually. Oh, the UNC guy. Well, yeah. Speaking of He's a good. slot guy, there's yeah. Josh Downs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've been watching him at UNC the past two years, and he's been really good, really explosive. I don't know. I just like everything he does. I'm a big receiver guy, but he's my favorite in the draft. He's at, he at North Carolina, right? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with you. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, look yeah. at that. He played he played well with a, with a good quarterback back there on Drake May. Yeah. I mean, they had they had three good receivers last year. I mean, Josh Downs was the number one guy this year. So you're a you were high on the uh, was it the two lane running backs? Yes, running back Ty J Spears. Yeah, yeah. He does he he's not in the draft, is he? He is. He is. He's a little fella though. Yeah, he runs hard though. He's he, a little he, fella. He's good. Yeah. He is good. He's a little fella. Yeah, he's, he's my favorite running back in the draft, and there's Tank Bigsby. <laughs> if that says anything for you. I actually watched that game between uh Tulane and Houston this year. And uh, of course I'm a Houston hoser. But uh that that guy's good. Yeah. Uh he, he is he's he's not big, but uh he can he can uh, he can make plays. Hopefully he'd be like a Maurice Jones or Drew, you know, a small yeah. wrecking ball. <laughs> He's good. What's like, Liam? What's the word on old Tank? On Tank, yeah, what's his projection? Uh, I think. Like I mean, obviously, yeah, the I top, think he's third. Okay, yeah, because obviously the top guys, I think it's Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs are kind of gonna be those two guys. Yeah. But then after that, it kind of falls. Oh off a well, bit. Uh, what I'm looking at, it's got him listed at eighth, grade wise. But I mean, like he'll be third round. I mean, he's got a lot more upside than a lot of these other guys. And, so. you know, running back is – all these guys, uh, these teams, they realize they can just draft any running back, yeah. plug him in, it really, and just let him I mean, the, 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 the running back skill gap, you know, you're going to have guys like Jonathan Taylor, for instance, that, you know, they're special. Derrick Henry's special. Yeah, you, say, you, have, yeah. you have the special guys. Do you think Jonathan Taylor's special? I think no, he's pretty good. I was going to say Derrick Henry. If you Derrick Henry special. Henry. That's, yeah. that's why I threw him I would there. say like Derrick Henry, special, Saquon, Saquon, McCaffrey are your special guys. Okay. Jonathan Taylor I thought was special. Then I drafted him number one overall in fantasy, <laughs> and he crapped <laughs> he, out. He did good for one year. You should have yeah. done it in the right year. Draft him in the right year. But, yeah, I think there are these special guys. You know, yeah, McCaffrey, uh, uh, Derrick Henry. But I think that the gap between it, like you said, it, it, it has fallen off in recent years. I think a lot of teams are realizing now that you don't need the the one play guy. You know, the three down back, the center stone of your offense. Uh, you don't need that necessarily. A lot of teams are slowly adapting to that, you know, going more towards a running back by committee. Like every year in and year out, we're seeing less and less run, like primary running back teams anymore. You're real I mean, you really aren't. Besides Derrick Henry, and that's really it you kind of see now. And even he's getting old and brittle now. Yeah, I mean, you just get beat up so bad at the running back position anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got a, some guys blocking for the quarterback, and you're blocking defensive ends and, and linebackers coming through there, and defensive tackles. Even. And defensive ends are getting more and more athletic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, it sucks for running backs because you're you're the most expendable part of a football team. You'll they'll draft you, use you up for three years till your body's beaten, broken, toss you the curb before a second contract, and that's really it. So unless you're a first round guy, you're not going to be making a couple million in your NFL career. But rip, rip Zeke, yeah, R.I.P. Zeke, because I don't, I don't poor, know. Poor guy's legs are jelly. But I mean, hey, he's made what like the third most of any running back in history. So yeah. I think he'll he'll wipe his tears with hundred dollar bills. <laughs> he'll be fine. <laughs> I hope he goes to the Bengals, man. I really do. Hopefully, we find out soon. Yeah, the Cowboys are still up there to re-sign him, but I don't, that'd be a pity sign if anything. Yeah. I think. yeah. What, what's your uh, overall analysis, Doctor Fowler, Dallas going into this next season? Pollard. 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 He's going to be the staple of the offense? I think so. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. I, I like think that. So. Hey, I, I, he's, I, he's a phenomenal I, player. 
just watching him develop over this, uh, especially over this past year. Of course, when they were having the, the two back, the two back system with Zeke in there too, and it, I really loved that because it reminded me a lot of the what I grew up with the Cowboys, and that was with Tony Dorsett and Robert Newhouse. Um, and then, of course, you had the Emmett Smith and Daryl Johnston thing. But it gave me those kind of visions. But watching Pollard over this past year and really take the reins because Zeke. Slow, love him. Slow down. Slow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an argument I had to have with Chris week in and week out. You know, I love Zeke him, slowed down, and yeah, he was great at pass blocking and all that, and he was valuable to his team. But it was time to move. He on. He was, but yeah. you're right. I, I believe I, I agree with you, and it's uh, it was time for him to move on. But I, I would love to see what Pollard's going to do over this next year. Do you think uh, both you guys? Do you think this is this is Dak's year, or is it uh, is it just? Are you okay? Are you okay with? Going to the playoffs, and let's say you don't make it past the divisional round, is that like a – is that a – is it time to move on then, or are you just – I don't know. What are, I, what are your thoughts? I'm still – I'm still a – I am still a Dak believer. Um, is he a Tom Brady? No. Of course, nobody's a Tom Brady. Right. But, but do I think that he could – if he's got the tools around him, I think he could do it. Um, but to say is this their year, I think if, it, if it's not their year – then it's it probably is time to start thinking of some other alternatives, but I think um, I think this year or maybe the next year, and if not, yeah, I, I I can't remember how many years Dak has on his contract. I think it's at least one or two left. Something like that. I, I think it'd be two because if he if this was his final year of his of his extension contract, we'd be hearing about it a lot more in the off season. I think with Dallas he has these next two years to really prove himself, if not just one year. And then the final, like this is kind of a prove it year right now, you know, prove you can stay with this team or not, if you can be successful in this team or get them at least over the hump to an NFC championship at the very least this upcoming year. If he can't do that, I think the final year of his contract, there will be serious considerations of do you move on from him or not? If Dak can't make a conference championship game this year, you know, taking away, you know, extraordinary circumstances of him getting hurt or the team, you know, falling apart or something. If they can't make the NFC Championship this year, I do think the Cowboys draft a quarterback, if not in the first round next year, but some, but a quarterback who has the caliber to replace Dak or that could be the Dallas Cowboys' future, and then they'll go into the final year where it's like, all right, Dak, play good and keep your spot or play bad and lose it. And I think that's that's what they should do going forward because I think Dak's a great quarterback, but it's going to get into a situation like Kirk Cousins where you kind of know where, where the limit is. Like you've said, Chris, we know where that limit is. And the argument I've kind of posed on the show a lot is, you know, you do have all these quarterbacks who are mid-range, you know, not the superstars that can lead a team of grocery store clerks, but guys that, you know, can be good enough to win a Super Bowl if given the team around them. Mm -hmm. Chris refers to this as assembling the Avengers to defeat Thanos often. (laughs) No, I mean, that's how you describe it. That's how I describe it. But I do think, you know, the way to build a team, if you have a mediocre quarterback, not mediocre, but, you know, an upper echelon quarterback that's not elite, but is better than two-thirds of the field. If you build a team around them that's good enough, then they can be very successful. And last year, you know, you can make the excuses for Dak. The running game kind of fell apart towards the latter half of the season and in the playoffs, and that's very true. The wide receiver core for the majority of the season is not what he's had in the past. It wasn't the best in the league by any stance. Outside of CeeDee Lamb, you really didn't have anybody on the Cowboys receiving core. You lose Dalton Schultz this year. I think they replace him with uh, with the tight end in the first round this year, And if I had to make a prediction. Uh, the guy from uh, – Notre Dame. No, no. Was it – Utah. Utah, really? yeah, Dalton uh, Kincaid. Kincaid. Yeah, I think that's who they get in the first round. Uh, round whatever, da- Michael Meyer. whatever Dallas has, like, 22, I think, the 22nd pick. What would they put, like, three tight ends again? We have Ferguson, Hendershot, and Kincaid. Ferguson? Yeah. Who's he? That worked pretty well for them last year. 
Jake Ferguson. Oh, you're talking about. Yeah, Yashi, that worked Yashi, pretty well Yashi. for them last year. I mean, when they, when you run whatever personnel that is with th- three tight ends, ridiculous, 13 personnel, I think. Yeah. Um, that worked pretty well for them last year. I think they can now, kind of build their offense around that too. Are you concerned with the interception total of Dak Prescott from last year? Is that going to that, be a factor that, this year? That was That was bad. It yeah. was bad. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about yeah. that. Is that like Absolutely. a new? Because you, I know Hayden told me that that's kind of a new thing for Dak. That he had not been a turnover. He hasn't, he hasn't type been a turnover. You're, you're right. I think. I mean, when I, when I attribute a lot of it to last year, there was like six or seven that were ex- pretty much Noah Brown's fault specifically. Six or seven is a bold number to say, man. That's half of his interceptions. It, it was. It was very high. Really? Like, I mean, you saw in the Jaguars game, one of them was Noah Brown's fault. That last one that led to the interception. Yeah, I'd say end. one of them, but there was another one that I think it's his progr- that I think it's his progression, which gets him in a lot of trouble. Hmm. I mean, last year, the Cowboys were bottom five in separation for wide receivers from cornerbacks last year. He had to force a lot of stuff, and he's not the best at that by no means. And, you know, a lot of good, the good quarterbacks can fit the balls in those tight windows, and Dak isn't the best at that. That's never really been one of his big strengths and, and the Cowboys just didn't have that separation like they've had in the past you know he's used to Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup at full strength and CeeDee Lamb in the slot which has worked great and CeeDee Lamb on the outside he played great but without Michael Gallup at full strength which he really wasn't for the majority of last year and Noah Brown is your wide receiver three who really isn't you know worthy of anything he's now in the Texans he got traded for like what a sixth or something that shows you his value uh you know, with Brandon Cooks this year, who can find find those gaps with uh, C.D. Lamb now being a guy that has someone t- to compliment him, and if Michael Gallup can get a little bit better, you know, I think they could be a little bit more successful this year. But like I said, Dak will have he will have the tools this year to be successful, and if he's not, it will be it'll be a rude awakening for him. I think in twenty twenty four. Do you think that he is fully recovered from that horrific leg injury? See, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think he has. What worries me with, with Dak is not even necessarily that, but he has had shoulder issues in the past before. No. I think it was twenty maybe 2019 where he had some shoulder issues that kept us out of the playoffs towards the end of the year. And I still think that's one of the more issues that he's had as well. And he had a – was it the finger this year right, right. on his throwing hand, which which I, me- I mentioned at the beginning of this year. He, it took him, like what, five, six weeks to come back from. And that was an injury that Russell Wilson had a few years ago, I think in the year that he was you know kind of an MVP candidate to start the season. He got hurt, and he was never the same the rest mm-hmm. of the year. I think Dak overcame that injury a little bit quicker than others, but those finger issues, you know, those really mess up quarterbacks. You know, Chris, you played quarterback for flag football. You know how important <laughs> your fingers are. Yeah, no, so. I, no, I agree. <laughs> I just think uh, I think Dak really thought that uh, – I think he came back and felt his leg injury was fine when he decided to run, on what, with 16 seconds left against the Niners two years ago in the playoffs. <laughs> Instead of throwing, and they ran out of time. That was a smart play. He just ran five <laughs> yards too long. I think that was that was not a bad play. If they're gonna, if, if the Niners are gonna guard the outside on that play, and you have the open field for like fifteen yards, I don't think his manageable. leg was bothering him. In that no, play. no, no. I, I think his recovery from that leg injury is is was pretty phenomenal compared to you know what has happened to other guys with compound fractures like that. Yeah, I think uh, like he said, he's had uh, he's had plenty of time. He'll have had plenty of time to come back from his injuries this year. You got the pieces around him. You got your receivers that you want. You got your Cooks and your Lamb and your Gallup. Yeah. You got uh, your four tight end system that you got there. You got Pollard. Hopefully your offensive line figures out how to run block and not just pass block. That's been a kind of a big thing that happened last season. And uh, you got the top three defense in the league with the Parsons leading the way. So I don't, I don't know how much more yeah. that you could have. If this isn't the year, I don't know what year is – yeah, you you've kind of take you've you've kind of learned from the Stephen A. book Stephen A. Smith book of making predictions, <laughs> haven't you? And it's 
You know, Yikes. the way Stephen A. Smith is, is that he says the Cowboys are not going to be successful this year. And he doesn't define the term of success. But once they do lose, which, you know, only only one team wins Super Bowl, 31 out of 32 teams fail every year. I'm not asking. No matter how far the they get. Bowl. I know you're, you're going to say make the NFC championship. Correct. Game, which at only, the very least, only two teams can two. in the NFL. So if he's not two of 16, then it's a failure. Which I, which I agree. I think that's the benchmark. I'm not set. giving him one shot to be two teams. I'm giving him eight shots now to be one of two teams, and he ain't done, and he ain't been close. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. That's what I'm saying. Like you're acting, you're acting like I'm saying, hey Dak, one year be two teams, be one of two teams. No, I'm yeah. saying, hey Dak, over an eight year span, be one of two teams, and he's not doing it. Yeah, that that's a problem to me. I mean, Burrow in one full season of health, yeah. one full season of health with the trash Bengals. Did that? Did did that plus one? That's what I'm saying. That's the difference to me. That that's the difference, yeah. right? I mean, no, well, I mean, that's that's the difference with different. That's the difference between a top I mean, two quarterback, the elite standard, Burrow, and then the really good standard. Burrow played one season and did more than Dak and Tony Romo did in their entirety of their careers, which is what 15 years put together. So was Blake Bortles, and so was Case Keenum, and so as I'm saying, Jimmy Garoppolo. He put together a season that was never even sniffed by either one of those quarterbacks. Yeah. Blake Bortles was carried. We know that, but Burrow was the heart and soul of that of that squad. I think I think the Bortle year, the twenty seventeen Jaguars, that just shows anything. It's just how hard it is to make an NFC champion or a championship game in general, either side, and just how random the NFL can be. Any team can get carried. Any good team can get knocked out early. And like I said, the Cowboys are usually the team to get, to get knocked out early. Early, but that's Jerry Jones' fault. That's not ours. That's the curse's fault. <laughs> oh my that's God. right. And he's, it always he's, he's speaking the truth. It always comes back to Jerry Jones and the curse. Ken, how long can we blame it on a curse, man? Come on. Maybe, I mean, maybe the draft. Jets, the Jets, the to Jets be fair, a, he's the one constant in that. He's the whole one. No, well, you know what the constant is? The constant is you haven't had a the first three round quarterback start for you since <laughs> Troy Aikman. I mean, God dang, that's the constant there. You had an undrafted Romo take the reins and lead you to nothing, and you have a fourth-round Dak when was, take um, the reins. When was Andy Dalton drafted? Was he the first three-round quarterback? I'm talking about a guy that you got in the first three yes, rounds that you drafted Cowboys yourself. Draft. We'll wait and see. You obviously draft well, but you pick up these – you're find, trying to find diamonds in the rough, and you're looking through a pile of just dog shit – to find your quarterback. Wait, wait a minute. You're saying Dak Prescott's a diamond in the rough? No, he no. had a number one team. Number one team in the nation at Mississippi at Mississippi State. Yeah, but what? Mississippi State. That was State. Through, what, five games of the year? Whatever. What, they how, many, how many other teams hey, have been first in? First playoff many poll ever. They Thank were in the you. First, they, Thank they, you, they Hey, But what did they finish? And what did they do in their bowl game? How I many, mean, to how, be fair, Auburn was in that playoff poll, too. <laughs> you're not helping. How many, how many weeks has C.J. Stroud been in number one? Number one in, in the in the college football playoff rankings. How many weeks has he been number one? What does it matter? Bum, 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 bum. I, I think in two seasons he will have already had a better career than Dak Prescott. That'd be wild. With the Panthers, I don't know, but I, mean, I wouldn't put it past him there. I love a Panthers Cowboys first round playoff matchup. CJ Stroud versus Dak. That'd be a, that'd be a fun thing to talk about on our Zoom shows after. It'd be this. Wonderful for me. I just watch Stroud <laughs> cook the Dallas defense just like he did to Georgia. Just let him cook. It'll happen. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think with the Pan- who. Harris Marshall, dude, he don't matter. Hey, who do you puts a ball on a freaking? Who'd we? Uh, what was our prediction when we did it? The AFC or the NFC South predictions a few weeks ago. Remember the when, what? We, when we did the, the yeah. NFC South predictions because we couldn't figure out what Saints. order those. Oh yeah, were. I had Saints one, like Panthers or Falcons two or three, and then Bucks at four. Yeah, I think the Falcons and uh, Panthers are interchangeable. Yeah. I mean, it depends on quarterback play. We did not all agree on that that, that week though. There was no. I, I think it was no, Mr. Chris not. over here, Mr. Fortenberry, that was like. 
thinking that we were all idiots for the Bucks being low or something. Or the oh, Panthers Bucks no, terrible. Bucks being two. Bucks being two. Oh, okay. yeah. What do you expect out of them? They got Baker Mayfield and Devin White has just requested a trade, and he's gonna be. He's just opened the floodgates because everybody's gonna want to get out of there. There's nobody else to get out. Mike Evans. Nope. Uh, that's probably good. Nine straight thousand yard season. Yeah, no, but I don't think he's great in the locker room. If any team should go after Trey Lance, it's the Bucks. You go after Trey Lance. Dude, they just need to completely hit the reset button, refresh. We got our Super Bowl from Tom Brady. It's time to start over, clean house, clean everything. Mm -hmm. Get Todd Bowles trashed by uh, (laughs) coach out of there. He sucks. Never, he's not, you have the GOAT, the elite defense, and good pieces around him. And if you can't win ballgames, you're trash. Todd Bowles never needs to be a head coach anywhere. I wouldn't let him head coach my six-year-old son's peewee football team if if he did it for free. I'm serious. I wouldn't. You let have him a six-year-old coach. son? I'm, I'm saying if I had a six-year-old son, <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> well, with the draft, is there anything else we want to touch on? We got a few minutes left in this segment before we got to go to break. Um, we talked on some running backs, wide receivers, uh, besides Kentucky guys. Outside of Will Evans, there's nobody I can think of. But. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say something. So, you know, there were words about Michael Meyer being good and Dalton Kincaid being good. Both of those guys, first first rounders for a tight end position, great. Ooh. Darnell Washington, the guy from he Georgia. He is a beast of a man. I think he is going to be, as a rookie, the second best blocking tight end, only behind George Kittle. And I think with time... I think he could become first. I think Darnell Washington's going to be a great asset for whoever gets him. I mean, goodness gracious, that guy puts on a little weight. He's basically an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. How big he is. Yeah, yeah. This this is a very strong tight end draft. I think so. We could oh, have yeah. we could have four very quality starters being the in the top fifty. Do you think any of these could be a Kelsey type? I don't know. That's really hard to come by. I think really, it's really I think like your one in like a billion. Mark Andrews. I don't think anyone's going to. I don't know. Kelsey. I think I think like belt wise, I think Kincaid's probably the like most athletic. But I don't know. I mean, Myers, you know, an incredible leader. Darnell Washington's an incredible beast, and then Kincaid's the athlete, kind of wild card esque mm-hmm. hybrid guy. Where, where did where's where's Darnell where's Darnell Washington from? Georgia. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He got hurt in like the first quarter against us mm-hmm. and left, went to the locker room, and so did our tight end, unfortunately. <laughs> so, and then of course we know what happened after that. But all right, fun injuries plague that that uh, the tight end matchup. I thought we were going to have. I thought it would be really neat, but they had. Brock Bauer's still there, who's yeah. going to be the first tight end taken next year, <laughs> most likely. So. All right, we got a minute and a half here. We'll go quick on a round table. Make a quick first round bold prediction, Liam. Uh, I would say that five receivers get drafted instead of three. Chris, uh, Dallas makes a splash, trades up, and gets <laughs> Bijan Robinson. <laughs> oh, great! Yep. <laughs> I say the Jets get actually get Aaron Rodgers, and then they're going to draft him a quarterback who can actually play for the next five years. Okay. Ooh, okay. I'd like I like to see that. Interesting. Yeah. I'd say Anthony Richardson goes number one overall to shock everybody. Well, well we better want. than freaking banana peel boy. So, hey, is that your your issue is banana peels, not the mayonnaise in the coffee? Oh no, it's everything. But yeah, I, I already <laughs> ma- I already made the reference to mayonnaise in the coffee. Oh, have so you? I, I felt did. like I Fair wanted enough. to go. He did. Fair peel. enough. Well, that'll do it for us for this segment. When we get back, we're going to talk some motorsports, some Masters stuff, so stay tuned for that. Dr. Fowler, thank you for uh, for coming on the show. I think you got to get going, but we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I yes, really enjoyed it. Had it's a good been time. A great yeah, man. We're uh, hopefully definitely going to try and get you on for All right. Episodes. Sounds good. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, well, guys, remember to uh, listen to the next upcoming song break. And when we get back, as I said, the Masters and some motorsports talk coming up soon. So talk, listen to stay for that. Remember to follow us on our social media at Off the Bench XLR on Instagram to stay up to date with all things Off the Bench. Again, that is at Off the Bench XLR on Instagram. Check out posts, clips, and more. Listen to this one song, and we'll be right back after the break. And we are back here at Off the Bench. My name is Hayden Joyner, joined with Chris Fortenberry and Liam Worley. Guys, the uh, the Masters was this past weekend. Y'all's favorite time of the year as golf fans. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased to announce for the first time in Off the Bench history that I actually watched some of it. Yes, So dude. be proud. Plus did you one know? to you. Proud. I did which one? Hang on, which round? The final round, of course. I watched a little bit of the first. I watched probably an oh hour of the first. And the first was the, the most fun one to watch. That's like, that's like tuning in to watch the NBA championship. Hey, hey, seven. Hey, yeah. would you rather me have nothing, or would you rather me have something? I watched. I, guess it, I watched fair. a bit of. The, I watched probably an hour and a half or two hours of the first round on uh, what was it Thursday? When yes. It kicked off, and then I watched it on Sunday, obviously, because Easter and the Masters coincided, and I was able to watch some of it. So fair. Well, that's good. I'm that glad you good. got to tune into it, man. Yeah, 87th Masters. John Rahm wins the first ever for him. Fourth ever for a Spaniard like himself. Negative 12 on. The entire tournament after the four rounds, and uh, I think one of the biggest stories here was just Brooks Koepka's, uh, you know, kind of crap in the bed a little bit, huh? Yeah. 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 He was, I mean, he shot four over on the weekend, so. Yeah. He was up two shots going into the final round, and uh, he lost by, what was it, four shots total at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Tied with Mickelson, who kind of came out of nowhere to, My to go out guy, too. <laughs> Mick. I love Mick. Dude, he is, he, I, you, can't, you can't help but love What was he? Mickelson. He was, what, just... One under to start the final round, yeah. and he finished eight under. So, yeah. yeah. Seven under, 65. Tied his lowest round ever at Augusta National at, what, 52 years old? Yeah, yeah. and it's been 20 years Kicked since. Kicked into goat mode, that. yeah. Yeah. Oh. There you How go. about that, man? Yeah. He, he said, I told I told my uh, family, because I was uh, in Myrtle over the over Easter, I told my family, I said, hey, Bill said, I saw it, he said, where his game's at right now, he's about to go on a tear. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hoping that means we get a solid U.S. Open performance out of like, I would love it if he can complete the Grand Slam my I feel like my life would be complete that's that's who I want to compete well him and Jordan I want to see Spieth we want to see Ricky get there too complete we, the Grand Slam no no I'm talking about oh, I'm talking about yeah. just play well at just the, at a major or yeah or qualify qualify for yeah. a major first would be great as long as he yeah. gets in yeah. yeah he does play the next one the PGA championship but anyway I mean what a drastic up and down roller coaster of a Masters. Super low scores Thursday. Then we saw the weather come in Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Have three suspensions of play uh, between those, and uh, I mean the scores took a dip. And then we saw some of the cream rise to the top Sunday. I mean, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Also, shout out to my words of Victor Hovland <laughs> yeah. uh, last yep. Wednesday, and he goes out and shoots a 65 and is tied first round lead. What did he finish? Uh, he ended up tied seventh uh, with Cameron Young. What? Uh, he shot 6-6. Six, six. Six? Yeah. Yeah, so it, to me it was a disappointing Masters. I was mm. really, really hoping a live tour guy would win it. Hey, just to <laughs> half of it. half of the top five is live guys. Yes, though. they played well. What was, yeah. what, what, what was well. like? Wasn't it like a weird thing that they were going to do at the end? If they everybody won? would, every live guy in the tournament would go onto the green and yeah. celebrate with the winner. I mean, they had oh, yeah. twelve of the eighteen guys make the cut, and that's you know, some of those six guys, two of them withdrew. Yeah. Louis Eustazen and Kevin Na. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can kind of scratch those and say twelve of sixteen. 
made the cut. Which is so, phenomenal. Yeah, which is great. Right so, yeah. I mean, kudos to them. A lot of people think thought they wouldn't, you know, be up to uh, major tournament golf, but here they were playing four rounds at a high level. I mean, obviously, Phil Mickelson, 53 years old, out here doing stuff. Brooks Kepka, you know, coming off the Live Orlando win, finishing T2, should have daggum won the thing. He should have, yes. And then Bert Griego's little sleeper pick of every tournament that there's ever been, Patrick Reed, <laughs> sneaking into the top five as well. So, I mean, you can't say enough about these guys that they keep their game competitive. I mean, you know, it's golf is a mental game anyway, so yeah. I don't understand why people think they couldn't go the distance. But oh, for sure. What what were your, some of your other takeaways from, you know, maybe Jordan Spieth or somebody such as that? I don't know, man. It's weird. I watched I watched a good bit of the Masters, and I watched these guys, and it, it's it's hard because Spieth, you're expecting, you know, you're kind of just waiting for any moment he could just, you know, to take over mm-hmm. and, and, and play that golf that we saw him play you know, when he was winning all his majors and all his tournaments in the 2015, 2016 uh, years. And we're just not seeing it anymore. And then, you know, you, you, you watch Brooks Kepka take his lead and you expect him to just sit at 13 and not move. I mean, know? he has that killer yeah. attitude. And he always usually. said he likes it when conditions get tough yeah. because he knows he can just par and, and I mean, beat the rest of everybody. won two U.S. Opens and two PGAs. Yeah, and that's, that, that's what it takes out there to win yeah. those. And it was just shocking. It was very shocking to see. It was almost like... You can you could say John Rom went out there and won it, but I just feel like everybody just fell apart. That's what mm. I looked. Hovland fell apart. Cameron Young, Sam Burns, those type of guys that got up early fell apart. I mean, nobody even pushed Rom. I mean, mm-hmm. Brooks Kepka didn't even push. Rahm. The dude started the day with what a two shot lead, and I think actually a four shot lead when he started the official day, because they had to continue and play mm-hmm. the third round. Yep, and just gave it to the guy. And he he dropped what five four shots. Ah. Uh, Five, I think. Because I think he, he was at 13. 13. Yeah, yeah. And he so five. five. Yeah. I mean, you just handed the guy the tournament. And, I mean, you got your fills, and Spieth did play very well um, with Phil in that grouping that they had on the final on the last day. And they were kind of making a push, but they were so far back that it wasn't even really a challenge for Rom. They ended up finishing, what, four or five shots behind him mm-hmm. for the tournament. So yeah. it wasn't even he wasn't really feeling their presence. It's not like they were five under and shot seven and gave him – something to worry about, and he has to make some birdies, force yeah. him to make great shots. It just didn't happen. I mean, all Rom had to do down the stretcher's park because Kepka kept bogeying and doing just God knows what he was doing. I guess he was bad at the pace of play from Patrick Cantlay. Uh, that kind of became a big deal after it the did. tournament. So, yes, it did. I don't know. Nobody really went out there and played phenomenal golf when, when I thought it needed to be played mm-hmm. uh, and what I thought I'd see, like Patrick Cantlay, Xander, well, there was guys. phenomenal golf played, but it was from people too far yeah, back too far to make back. a yeah. big difference. There, they didn't. Nobody in contention, truly in contention, played phenomenal golf right. to put any kind of pressure on John Rahm. Right, and uh, I don't know. It, it sucked. You know, you want to see a Masters or any kind of tournament, major championship tournament, come down to the wire and have lots of guys in the mix yeah. who, could, who could win it. We just, I don't want to see a guy get to the 16th, 15th, 16th tee mm-hmm. and already know he's going to win the tournament. Right. I mean, you know, when you looked at the first round leaderboard, you were thrilled with yeah. what you were seeing. There were lots of good, you know, names high up to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, the cream was already at the top. And then we started to see it come in and out. And, I mean, you know, Rom did enough to win. I mean, he shot three under in the final round, which good for him. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. By the like, time the important holes came around, it yeah, was it was close. over. It I mean, close. it wasn't really, you know, you were praying for maybe Rom to zip a ball too much on fifteen or 
do something wild. But you just know he's too skilled. He ain't going to yeah. do that. Yeah, no, he's that's, not. That's the thing. Yeah, so, I mean, but, you know, we got some things about some surprises and some disappointments. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have my surprise, which is a good thing, and then my disappointment, obviously a bad thing. My surprise at the tournament, Sam Bennett, an <laughs> amateur, the U.S. Am winner out of Texas A&M, shooting uh, 68, 68, the first one of which was a bogey-free 68 for an amateur at Augusta is insane. Yep. Uh, he ended up T16 at two under, so he didn't play great on the weekend, which I mean, he got paired in the final grouping on Saturday mm-hmm. with Rahm and Kepko, which is insane, so good for him. Uh, I mean, he, he carried the, the flag for, you know, y'all college golfers and, you know, amateurs across the world well. And then... My, which this is a disappointment for him, but a Not pleasant for pleasantry for me. Rory, baby. Rory McIlroy missing the cut at uh, five over, so great. And then Justin Thomas also missed it as well, shooting a second round seventy-eight. Wow, paving the way for big, uh, big, big tiger, cat. yeah, yeah big, big tiger cat. woods to make, make the cut the, and then you know eventually just, withdraw. That was but. just a sad sight to see. I. Just to point that out, watching that dude limp across the course mm-hmm. in the cold, wet conditions, yeah. knowing his body just can't go any longer. I know his mind's there. I know his ability is there. But, I mean, we're watching a guy whose body just can't. Wants to, but just can't. Yeah, he yeah. just can't. He knows what he has to do, but his body won't let him do it. I mean, I think if Tiger Woods was fully healthy, you take away what happened recently with, or, you know, within the last two years of that car accident, mm-hmm. I think this guy is contending in all these major championships, mm-hmm. and he's probably added at least two more wins to his resume and taken over the all-time wins list. But because of this injury, there's just there's just no He's never going to be way. able to walk yeah. regular again. There's yeah. no way he yeah. can hang around for four four days. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and he win. himself said that he's ready to ride in a cart and play on the senior tour, which are words we never <laughs> thought would come out of his yeah. mouth. He said for the longest time he would never play the senior tour. And that that's what's, definitely going to change. What's the qualifications for the senior tour? You just got to be 50 years old and be a member 50? of the PGA Tour. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, you know, JT and uh, Rory were the only, like, you know, well-ranked golfers, informed golfers even, that missed the cut. So, you know, I'm not a f- particular fan of either of those. So, uh, you know, I don't prey on their downfall. <laughs> I do Rory, but not JT. I did uh, predict. I've said this, I think, multiple times now, um, especially to my family. I said this a long time ago, probably – Eight, maybe even eight years ago, mm-hmm. I said, Rory, as as good as he should play at Augusta, I don't think he ever gets the green jacket. I don't either. I just don't think so. I mean, it's, it's one of those places to where, like, it's set up so perfect for him, but that gets in his head, well, and he doesn't. Like, they said, if you could design a course for Rory to win at, that would be why, the, why is that? It's the, it sets up for his game. Yeah. Like, he hits these high draws oh, okay. with the driver, and it just sets up for him. Yeah. And he should just destroy the course, but he doesn't. Hmm. I mean, and it's the only, you know, course that stays the same for the majors year after year. Yeah. So you would think with familiarity over time and stuff like that. I mean, he's played, you know, every Masters for 15 years now. So, I mean, you would think he would be more than capable of doing it, which he is, his te- his game is, but I think he's got a mental block to where he can't do it. Yeah, it's like one of those things like, you know, it's so perfect. Like it's, mm-hmm. the stars should align, but they just never do. Yeah. Because it's like it's kind of like a thing in his head now. Like I should win out here. Everyone, everyone, you know, he hears it said in the media that mm-hmm. it's the perfect place for me to win. He's always like a favorite going into it. Yeah. When's Rory gonna just take over? Yeah, I mean, and he let was it happen. Top three in the world and top three in betting odds going in. I mean, a lot of people were betting on him, literally. So. 
Yeah, I do yeah. reverse psychology now. Just yeah. tell him that he's going to suck. No, I'm, he's I'm not going to call. We don't want him to win. I don't want him to win. I don't want him to ever see Roy McIlroy put on a green jacket. Yeah. And that's not me just praying on. I don't want to sound like I'm praying on a guy's downfall. It's what it but sounds I like. just can't stand Roy McIlroy. He's just a whiny hypocrite. Yeah, hypocrite. He talks too much. I can't stand the guy. And I wish he just wouldn't say anything to the media ever again because he's just horrible. Yeah. And I don't think he's that good with his fans either. He they they could put on this whole stunt like uh-huh. he's so great. But I don't think it. I don't know. No, buy it. no. I think he's, he's no Ricky Fowler, no. no Jordan Spieth, no Jason Day, no Phil. Yeah, where they <laughs> love their fans and stay hours to sign things yeah, and I take just, picks. Yeah, Rory's not that guy, pal. No. What was it with all the? The weather this year. Cause, I mean, Augusta's close to us. We obviously had some weird weather this weekend. Like, it was freezing cold. I mean, we had trees falling down in Augusta and stuff. Like, yeah. People. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the wind was blowing like 30, you know, sustained for a little bit. I mean, the whole, you know, storm cell was from, you know, the coast of the Atlantic to, like, Kansas. So, I mean, it was a big old storm that came through. That's going to change things a lot. I mean, just when it's cold and windy, I mean, that's – and wet, I mean, that's going to be – those are the worst golfing conditions in the world. I mm-hmm. mean, and you would think, you know, people like Rory would have been able to play in those since that's kind of what he grew up doing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's it makes the ball not travel as far, which is why we didn't see the scores go as low during the weekend and stuff, which is fine. I mean, that that's part of major championship golf sometimes. But, you know, for Augusta, it wasn't as picturesque until, you know – going later into Sunday, mm-hmm. which which is right. But, I mean, you know, you can't. You didn't get that feel of it. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a cultured environment, but you can't culture the weather. So, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was really hoping we'd see, like, a playoff mm-hmm. with, like, a mix of PGA Tour guys and yeah. good guys. <laughs> How dope, oh. dope would that have been? That would have been wild, man. Like, watching, let's say, like, you see, like, a Xander, Rom, Kepka, Phil playoff if we would have gotten something a like four-man playoff <laughs> masters would be insane wouldn't it that yeah. would be awesome just i mean it come down still to even just a rom phil one would have been insane because both they get along yeah they've I had a long history with i don't care if, if i mean phil has been a proponent of rom since rom was 17 coming to the united states mm-hmm. for the first time couldn't even speak english got him to play for his brother tim at arizona state and would go on to say that rom would become a number one player in the world and here he is. He's already won four tournaments this year. Has gotten back to his number one status. Yeah, this is his second major. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, and Phil is also an Arizona State alumni. So I mean, they got a lot of connection there. That would have been good enough storylines beyond you know the PGA Live thing. So yeah, I mean, Phil played the best golf of anybody on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, sixty-five. You know, tied the lowest round of the whole event. So shout out to him. You know, fifty-three years old. It's just people, so cool. People prey on his yeah. downfall, and he loves it. I, I I don't understand. I mean, I you know I play a lot of golf, obviously, and play with a lot of people. And the majority of the people that I've talked to can't stand Phil Mickelson. I love him. And I've loved Phil my whole life. I mean, the two guys that I've rooted for my whole life uh, watching golf has been Phil and Ricky. Those are those have been my guys. And just the fact that you see so many people like turning their backs on Ricky now that he's playing bad, and then just the people who just for some reason, never could I ever. Yeah, hate <laughs> Phil for like. I could never turn on, my man. back on Ricky. No, I mean I'm always rooting for Ricky and want the best for him, and always watching how he does in these tournaments. And same thing with Phil. You know, it's and it's good to see when they do come out here and, and, and play to the level that we know that they're capable yeah. of. Yeah, I mean Ricky's playing well again. I hope to see him lift uh, a trophy and put on a plaid jacket this week at the RBC Heritage that here would in our be, home state. 
that would be huge yeah. for, for the Fowlers yes. to, to come through and, yeah. and do that for his family and for himself that, making a big-time run. That or I am really selfish and hope he barely makes the cut. That way I can catch him early Sunday morning, <laughs> get a picture, take a picture, and uh, that would that would be about that. W- those are my two <laughs> things I want to see happen. If you do have one of the two, anything signed from him? Can you see if he'll sign an extra ball for me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, I actually have two pictures really? uh, that I'm bringing. They're the same pick. They're just different sizes. So I'll try to get both signed if possible. Well, that'd be sick. Yes, sir. Hayden, you ready to digress into something? Yeah, I mean the, the, the dirt. Bristol dirt was fun. Hope it never comes interesting. back. Interesting. Yeah. But really, interesting. you thought it was fun? It's fun in the essence of the idea. I didn't think yeah. so. It was just not not pleasant from no. what I saw. It, yeah. it's NASCAR on dirt is a fun idea, and if you want to see it happen, let the trucks do it. I yeah. mean, because they're gonna more, couldn't agree more. They're they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna have carnage anyway. So I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I think they should have a dirt race, and if they wanted to, it would need to take place uh, instead of the LA Coliseum race. That's my kind of thing I take away from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they can't even keep enough air pressure in these tires to keep tires on the dang cars. Uh, people are just wrecking left and right. There was a lot of uncalled cautions, so we didn't have any form of consistency. No. Uh, I mean, and the dirt, the dirt racers did rise to the top, though, to be fair. So at least you saw the guys who have been good consistently on dirt and, you know, grew up on dirt. The Kyle Larsons, Christopher Bells, your boy, who mm-hmm. ended up winning the race. Yes, sir. Tyler Reddick, Chase Briscoe, Austin Dillon, those kind of guys who have had great backgrounds on dirt, have had success on dirt, even in NASCAR. And, uh, I mean, so it's good to see that, you know, this does translate to talent some still. But, uh, you know, it's I don't think these 3,000-plus-pound stock cars should be running around on dirt, especially, you know, with these spec cars now, too. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I mean, it, that's kind of how all the Bristol dirt races have been. You know, the guys did rise to the occasion who, who are kind of the seasoned dirt guys. And there was some aspects of, you know, it, of, you know, some parts of the race, I was like, oh, you know, I'm actually enjoying this. But I think for the majority of it, like Chris said, it's just something that I think to go. If not, just keep it, like you said, Liam. Yeah. At least instead of the Coliseum, because God knows we don't want that. And if you want to do, if you really, if they really want to do a dirt race, do a dirt specific track. Let's not ruin Bristol just for the sake of, you know, having something that's kind of novel. Right. You know, let's just go up to Eldora. I mean, Eldora is owned by Tony Stewart, who owns four cars that race in the Cup Series. Yeah. There's the connections are there. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's plenty. There's plenty. Yeah. I mean, you there's can plenty. Still do the heat style stuff. Definitely. Where you want to do the qualifying and definitely. All that. Just, so just I mean. Done. I'm glad to see that uh, we're done with dirt. I do not think they're going to renew it for next year, so that's good. Hopefully, I'd be shocked. Hopefully we get two concrete Bristol tracks. I mean, the spring race usually doesn't show uh, do well in you know ratings or attendance, but the night race does. So yeah. I don't know. See a little bit something change. I mean, Bristol's one of the iconic tracks. I mean, yeah. since they took away the Brickyard 400, the night race has kind of taken the fourth crown jewel spot as well. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's still a prolific track. Yeah, I'd, I'd like the night race back. It's, it's something that we want to see, and not on dirt, obviously. Yeah, I mean, they have the night race in the fall, you know, the 500 lapper, but yeah, I don't know. just The, early, the early one, the ones in April get you hyped, you know. Yeah, I it's mean. It's the start of the year. Yeah, they I get wouldn't. you prepared. I mean, that's, you know, you can translate that setup to other places, too. I mean, especially since Bristol has been, 
you know, a very crucial race in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen a lot of adversity happen there. You know, even this last year where we had lots of people go kind of fade in and out of the field. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, Brad Keselowski led like 200 laps. He ended up, you know, blowing a tire, wrecking, finishing bad. We saw the Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott scenario a few years ago in which – Kyle Larson went on to win that race. And I remember that one. They yep. could say that was race manipulation. So, you know, there's been a lot of lot of good memories at Bristol, and none of them have been on dirt. So I think uh, <laughs> I think that should, you know, kind of sum it up itself. Well, huh? If it is the last year of it, I'm glad Bell went out on a bang. And he Fair. Won, so Fair. I'm happy first one in 2023 for him. So at least one of my drivers of all my motorsports fanhoods can actually finish a race. That's true. How the – hang on. Bubba? No. How did my girl Haley Deegan do? Uh, she actually didn't do bad, I don't think. She's your girl now? No, I know Cole Cole was uh, was high <laughs> oh, on her. Oh, that's last fair. Was yeah, there. that's fair. Uh, fair. We enough. watched her get, what, top five? Sixth. Sixth. Uh, she, I think sixth. she – oh, no, she may have finished top five, and then she finished sixth the week after. But she's she's been racing well. I mean, she qualified well in this one through the heat races. I mean, she's could you could say she has a bit of a dirt background as well, so – she would be suited for things. I will think they keep dirt in the truck series. You know, they're not going back to Knoxville this year. They're not doing with Eldora again. So, you know, I would say they go to one of those two tracks next year. So, I mean, you know, she'll still be in the series, I would believe. So uh, she'll definitely get more opportunities to shine on that. But, you know, she's making – this is the best season she's had up to this point. Uh, so I'm happy to see her progression. I mean, mm-hmm. she's racing with – arguably the best team uh, with Thor Sport in the truck series now, too. So she's uh, she's got a lot going on in the positive direction. How did Sir Sir Wallace do? Uh, 12th, he, right? Yeah, he ended up kind of stabilizing. He was, he, he was on a different strategy than a lot of the people who finished up front. He stayed out the first stage, ran second behind his teammate Tyler Reddick a lot of the evening, and then uh, when the second stage came around, he picked, got tires, gas and stuff like that and then went back out and ended up stabilizing in 12th which is you know a pretty good for him i mean that's a decent points day so not not too much to cry about if you're a bubble wallace fan See, no. only gas no tires you gotta just <laughs> do that to the end maybe you blow all four of your tires and you just more speed scoot scoot yeah. to the finish line Boot, stick, scoot your, and boogie. stick yeah. your tongue out and maybe get a three-way tie in the in the race you know yeah the piston yeah. cop yeah well that would, that would be a wild wouldn't it it would yeah yeah i'm trying to think of I mean, besides, like, any other notable moments from the race for the Cup Series? I mean, you had Ryan Blaney's bad luck continues, got spun out by Chase Briscoe, I think, on the final yeah, restart. Michael yeah. McDowell had, what, two 360s? Yeah, he did. Uh, Denny Hamlin got into some more trouble. He wrecked several times. Uh be like that. Yeah, I don't th- – I mean, Kyle Larson had a problem with – oh, so, yeah, Kyle Larson and Ryan Priest, they – Kyle Larson wrecked Ryan Priest, and then Ryan Priest wrecked Kyle Larson. I mean, none of it has been deemed as intentional uh, by NASCAR, nor have they said that because, I mean, you get in trouble now for saying that. But that was pretty interesting. Kyle Larson doesn't want to bring these cup cars back on dirt, and, you know, he races three dirt races a week. So, you know, if that's coming from your main dirt guy, I think that's a big sign of things that you need to change. So, I mean, you can kind of deduct that from that as well. But uh, hey, Chase Elliott's coming back this week. That's that's my big plus from uh, everything going oh, yeah. on. Big big plus, Liam. Tell me why I'm looking at the final race classifications and mm-hmm. when it says like uh, 
that's someone on the, like their final status if they finished running, finished by accident. Mm-hmm. Is Kyle Busch suspension a suspension issue or a suspension issue? Uh, it would be suspension with the car. Okay, that's what I figured. But yes. I was like, that, that, it, it caught my eye. I was like, I was yeah. like, what did he do that I he, missed? He did not get suspended from the race mid. He was in one of the wrecks with Kyle Larson, I do believe, and he the caution flew pretty quickly, which was a little bit of a thing. And which he was going, you could see him going on to pit road anyway. So why throw the caution when he's, you know, behind the pit wall? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a suspension with the car issue. He did not do anything devious this time. See, he's the only driver I would have questioned that with, you know. See, you got to question a lot of You never of know. I never days. know if he did something to get suspended pre-race that I just missed. You yeah, know? yeah. Never, it should just say, like, That's fair. incident. I don't know. It's fair. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Well, he he wasn't like I don't think he was even caught up in the wreck. I think he just broke it over a bumper. There were some big holes forming yeah. in the turns as well. So I mean, these cars aren't meant to take that day by day. So nope. Where are we at next week? Martinsville. So, oh, goody goody. Yeah, nice little short track. The short track package that we've seen do well now twice at both Phoenix and Richmond. Uh, hopefully, see it do really well this week i mean the temperatures aren't going to be super cold like they were last year the spring race so we should have a good racing product of course chase elliott's coming back so i'm yeah. interested to see how he does how his leg is healed up i mean i'm sure we're going to get a lot of press about that over the upcoming days mm-hmm. also have indycar at long beach that i'm uh, yes, excited about excited I mean, for another paddle award p2 Three yeah, three yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. He's gonna, he's, he'll finish on the podium. He, I just don't know that I'll win this one. But this is a fun race. I mean, you know, we've seen Andretti cars do well there uh, with Colton Herta and Alex Rossi. But Rossi's a McLaren now, so you know he's gonna bring all his knowledge from that track to McLaren, which will oh, yeah. help Pato Awards case. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited. You know, there's not very many street courses on the schedule, and this is a good one. So. Yeah. It should be a should be going no F one for the next three weeks until we're at Baku and Azerbaijan. So fun, a little bit, fun, a little bit longer away. Which they're going to have a new, Leo. If you heard like the new sprint layout potentially, there. I have, yeah, yeah, with the new like one, not necessarily one shot qualifying, but kind of one shot qualifying for this. They're going to have like a qualifying for the sprint and then a separate qualifying for the actual race. I guess to kind of eliminate the, you know qualify for the sprint or do bad in qualifying for the sprint and then it doesn't affect your race i don't know interesting i don't know why they're trying to mess with it i, I don't know if that's confirmed or not but that's kind of what they're thinking there's yeah. been like a few different rule changes with it that they're considering in this kind of mini spring break uh, you should say for f1 until yeah. they get to there so yeah i mean a lot of i saw george russell meeting with novak Djokovic. that was cool so that's an interesting combination it is but yeah i mean f1 always keeps it interesting you know even mm-hmm. though their racing product isn't the best in the world so nope they, they find a way to bring in fans they really do they do they do, they do. they're I smart wish, with it i wish a lot of i wish indycar and nascar would take notes from that I, they're, they're getting better i yeah, think we they can are all agree. i think they motorsports are. as a whole have gotten i think motorsports since covid are more popular now than they were say 2014 to Definitely. 2020. i mean nascar was the force first sport in the united states to come back so that's a big that, thing that right there. saved nascar it did i will always argue that covid saved nascar they're i mean they're their ratings are dipping, you know, majorly this year, and I don't know why that is. I hope, I hope, you know, with this new TV deal that should be getting rolled up, which this isn't, this isn't good for that. But I hope that that, and then, you know, maybe uh, the charters kind of stable out a little bit in price will keep people interested in it mm-hmm. and uh, keep, you know, people invested in the sport as well. I hope. I mean, we got problems with one team right now. 
to see if they'll uh, stay in the sport, you know, even throughout the rest of the year and Rick Ware racing. So yeah. who knows with that? It's just always a weird balance with motorsports. You know, we kind of see F1 doing this. They're kind of the main contributing factor, but the balance between sport and entertainment, I think. Yeah. It, others like, like more typical sports, non-motorsports, football, basketball, they kind of figure themselves out with that. But with motorsports, you so often see it where, you know, the races drag on with NASCAR because of length or F1, they drag on because the, you know, the product is pretty predictable and throwing in forced drama or forced competition to try to shake things up to get people to watch is kind of the big thing that people are talking about now, especially, you know, you kind of see with F1 with some weird rules being put in place and how, you know, if Red Bull's running away with the championship this year, they're going to make some kind of uh, amendment to the regulations to bring them back into touching range a little bit. And that's been, F1's done that in the past as well. I just hope NASCAR doesn't fall in that as well if the rings are dropped. They don't force something to happen or force drama or, or you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know how you do it unless it's regulation-wise. I mean, you can't tell what? a driver to wreck somebody else, but. You know, I, they just throw cautions at the end of these races. That's that's the, yeah, that's the yeah. main way. We that's what it. they've been doing. I was, I mean, we were surprised. the Brist- I was surprised the Bristol Dirt ended under, I mean, it ended under a, uh, a yellow flag, but that was because it was the final lap. They kind of had to. But yeah. like we saw in Coda, you know, they're just going to throw flag after flag. Fair. For things that, you know, a car gets spun around, just an immediate yellow flag instead of letting them, you know, spin themselves back around. And, mm-hmm. you know, the lap's like two minutes at Coda. They, they'd be fine. Oh, definitely. I mean, you could have a steward go out there really quick, pick up a little bit of debris, which is what, you know, was causing a lot yeah. of these cautions because there was so much contact going in and coming out of turn one. So... I don't know. They need to be more efficient in a lot of areas, and I think uh, that would contribute to a lot, a like, lot of positives. Yeah, like I get it. Why do you want to do that to increase viewership or attention or to get people more excited about the races? Because a lot of people tune in just at the end. They'll mm-hmm. tune into the last stage, the last fifty laps or so, and if something crazy happens, they're going to want to come back more and more times. Yeah, but if that happens every race, it becomes annoying. It does. You know, it's kind of the novelty of the thing. I mean, you used to be able to predict a little bit, you know, what would actually happen. I mean, aside from some of the crazy ones like Daytona, Talladega, but I mean, you know, you used to be able to say this is going to, you know, these people are going to run it up front at this track. And with this new car, you know, these new packages that were that were they're still working on, it's different, which is good. I mean, that should mm-hmm. get people captivated, but I think they lost a lot of their core audience, uh, over the past decade or so because yeah. of stuff like that. So who knows? Yeah. It's it's they're they're playing for the long game and uh we are not seeing the fruits of that labor yet. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully in, in the years come. Yeah. They, they kind of build up they've built up kind of a new audience, I'd say, you know, not as much Definitely. as what they had, like yeah. you said, like the twenty tens or early two thousands. And hopefully when you know I feel like it's it's kind of like it's kind of going towards the younger audience. I do feel like there's a lot of more young people interested in NASCAR than they were a decade ago. Definitely. And if you built that up to where you get a point where you know, these kids can actually watch races every weekend on their own accord. I don't know if they're, you know, they're not able to watch anymore. And to get those viewership numbers up, it'll, it'll figure itself out. They're going to have to take a hit and switch to streaming. And, well, at least have a streaming availability every race. You know, maybe it's not mm-hmm. exclusively streamed on, you know, Peacock or Amazon Prime or whatever. But something of that nature to where these younger people who, you know, have smart TVs, don't have any cable packages or nothing like that, mm-hmm. uh, can tune in. I mean, and I think that would help. And, I mean, they've been doing better on social media, which is good. That's something I certainly want to see. And, I mean, they tried to do a little show on USA. I don't think it panned out how they wanted to. I think they need to do more of a, you know, personable show uh, like Drive to Survive with F1. 
I think this IndyCar show that's coming out on the CW will be actually be fairly good mm-hmm. and do well for the sport. So I think NASCAR needs to take something after that. Yeah. I mean, we see it. I mean, tennis has one. PGA Tour has one yep. now, right? Uh, full, full swing. Full swing. Have, yep. you, have you checked that? Check that out. Uh, I have not. I don't have Netflix. Have you watched it? I haven't I watched have that one. No, I've seen Ma- the tennis one, Liam. Yeah. We watched it in tennis class. Some of my other golf. Yeah, the tennis <laughs> one was good. <laughs> tennis one's pretty good. Yeah, it's so it's so funny because it, it's made by the same people as Drive to Survive, which mm-hmm. I've of course watched. And so it's, was the golf one. In the golf one, it's yeah. The parallels are it's so uncanny. Like you can tell it's made by the same people. Like. Just like the the way they format the show is the exact same. Yeah, but it's good. The it's storytelling is the exact same. But yeah. yeah, that's what I was gonna get into. It's captivating as hell. But it's so funny. At least like me, especially because I have that eye for like media production. Right. It's so funny because like I see the title cards and the music fading in and then cutting to these different shots. It's frame by frame the exact same as Drive to Survive and Full Swing and what's what's the tennis one called? I can't remember. I don't I don't remember either. But I mean yeah, I've heard I you know I've watched a little bit of Drive to Survive. Of course it's made f1 blow up in the americas breakpoint there you go breakpoint yeah okay breakpoint good i mean i've watched some of that now too really good i think it's been good for the tennis world and then golf show full swing has made a lot of people connect with that as well i mean that's across three different disciplines you know three different fan bases you may have a little bit of correlation with tennis and golf but besides that I mean, you know, it's done well for all of them, and uh, I think more sports need to take after that. Yeah, I think it, the only issue I have with those is that it does blur that line between sport and com- sport and entertainment. But this which, is an entertainment product to make you correct, watch correct. the sport itself. It just does. It does make me mad when I'm watching Drive to Survive and they just blatantly lie to make the drama. Yeah, you know, like where well, they make that's they, Will Buxton's gig. Yeah, man. yeah, that's 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 the whole kind of point. It's to get. That's why, like, you know, you get all those like fangirls in because like they want the drama of a reality TV show, but they want the sport of F1. So yeah. it's kind of it kind of blurs the lines between those two things. But like, you know, as someone who watches every F1 race, every qualifying session, I'll check out you know some of the free practices. And I'll watch Drive to Survive the next season where they're reviewing the previous season, like this this last this last uh, series of episodes. I'll hear I'll hear a radio message that I know is from a specific race, and they're using it completely out of context, or they're pulling two drivers who like are good buddies, and they make them seem like they're rivals for some random reason just by pulling off random audio audio snippets and stuff. And that does annoy me. I don't know enough about the PGA or about the tennis scene to know if any of that's being faked over on those shows for Breakpoint or Full Swing, but. It certainly is something that I wouldn't doubt if they did that. Well, they tried to make Kyrgios the good guy, and that is not the case. So. <laughs> yeah, in that episode wow. we watched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From I didn't know it's he like was Joel Damon. Joel Damon I, got the most clout off of Full Swing. <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't so. know Kyrgios is like kind of a kind of a bad guy from the episode I watched because I know nothing about tennis, but I trust you, Liam, and knowing that he's the bad guy, and I totally believe that, that nice. that's what they'd spin. I mean, you know, some people say he's good for the sport because he makes you people need a, you come bad, in with... You need a bad yeah. boy. Yeah, you know? he uh, he's him, but, you know, for... Uh, I'm not going to say, like, traditionalist, but someone who goes to watch tennis, not some of the actual drama that happens on court, you know, I, I could definitely live without him. Yeah. Well, if they did the full swing, needs to be Showing the PGA Tour is a bunch of crap. They do well, it happened during the PGA Live split. Yeah. So, I mean, you I know. I hope it shows that. Cause it does. Live I mean, Tour, it's got Ian Poulter in it, so that should say enough. Live Tour, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is light years better than the PGA Tour. Well, have, yeah. you, have you always been on that? Because I know we did our Live Golf episode last yeah. sun, last summer. The, PG, the, PGA, the PGA just copied everything the Live Tour did. Yeah. So, yeah. if it is that good, then, or, you know. If the PGA Tour didn't think it was good, then why'd you do everything the same? And they're not going to say that because... Good point. They're 
you know, egotistical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it bothered me when I think it just came out recently yeah. with HB3 said that they're not growing the game. They're just uh, uh, putting money in mm-hmm. their pockets, which. About live. Yeah, I mean, they're making money. And he's money. a live golfer, yeah. too. They're making money. <laughs> to be clarified. And for sure, they're trying to make as much money as possible. But what they're doing is growing the game because they're making the PGA Tour make changes that mm-hmm. they never were going to make without this tour and coming and challenging it's, them. It's better for the golfers than yep. the PGA Tour. And they aren't going to claim that either, especially the Rory's and JT's. But Live Tour is also an international product. Mm-hmm. They take it to Thailand, Australia, Europe. You know, the only true event that we see outside of the, well, two. I'll, yeah. I'll, well, there's more than two, but the only really one that we see across the seas is the British Open. And that's done as a collaboration with the DP World Tour, mm-hmm. so their best can play as well. But, I mean, you know, aside from that, you see one tournament in uh, Canada. You see Mayakoba in Mexico, and that's it, you know. That's not an international product. I mean, Liv probably is doing more. I mean, they have a big South America-Africa contingency. They probably would do something like Brazil or Argentina as well. And the the whole uh, idea of a team format in which an individual and a team can win, Mm -hmm. which brings the guys together and they get to celebrate at the end of the tournament together, popping champagne bottles on the stage. It's like college days or high school days. You're playing with your buddies uh, and you're building chemistry and and bonding with uh, fellow players. You're playing for your team and yourself and you guys are all winning money and having a good time. Right. And you get to create your own team, get your own apparel. I mean, Phil was out there wearing the high flyer stuff, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's so cool. And their trophies are neat. And the fact that they can play in shorts, they don't have to wear pants like the PGA Tour makes these guys wear pants <laughs> in 100-degree weather. Grow up, man. The game is, is changing. It's evolving. It's modernizing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep everything you've had for 200 years. No. I mean, yeah. golf is yeah. golf is the gentleman's game, yeah. and that needs to be... You know, some aspects of that need to be kept. I mean, like with rules and stuff like that, like actual on-the-course rules and procedural stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, there's – I think Liv is bringing international people into the game more so than what, you know, the PGA Tour is doing. The PGA Tour hasn't really done anything for anybody besides, you know, their core group of guys who bring in all the fans, all the money and stuff like that. Because, like, I mean, they don't even really do a whole lot for, you know, people who are coming through the college ranks who are, you, you know, playing their absolute butts off in these, you know, 54-hole, two-day events yeah. mm-hmm. in college. And there's not a clear way to get the best college golfers and or amateur golfers even onto the PGA Tour, which we've seen, you know, Eugenio Shikara, yeah. who was the second best college golfer Go to live and win 4.5 million in an event. James Pyatt, who from Michigan State, he's gone over there full time now. Andy Ogletree, who was low am at the Masters one year, is uh, a live guy now as well. I mean, so you're seeing some of those people kind of take that. I wouldn't be surprised if you know Live has already offered Sam Bennett a deal or something yeah, like that. And, you know, the thing that bothers me is the PGA Tour is like you said. With the guys bringing in the money and the fans and all that, there's there's no loyalty there. They can sit there and say there's loyalty, but they ain't doing a dang thing for Ricky Fowler. No. And that dude's brought in more money than over yeah. half, maybe even over three-quarters of the guys on the tour yeah. right now. I mean, he's done so much for the game to help ki- get kids. I mean, there's kids out there on the tour right now who are brought into the game because of Ricky Fowler mm-hmm. what he did when he first got onto the scene with his outfits and, yeah. and just being different. I've been a Ricky fan for 10-plus years now, 
this is my 10th year of trying to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope to accomplish that this week. But, I mean, that's he's like, I, I, I don't know. I look up, like, you. honestly, you can talk crap about a lot of things to me, but I will not allow crap talked about Ricky Fowler. No Ricky slander. And honestly, I just want to see good golf. I don't care what, you know, who that comes from. I don't care if it's from the PGA, if it's from Lev, if it's from the European Tour, the Asian Tour even. I don't care. But, like, you know, that there's a division in the game because of, you know, questions, not even facts, questions of where this money comes from that the Liv's been getting is kind of malarkey. Yeah, and you know the biggest problem I have with the PGA Tour is the fact that they, to me, they've done nothing to help grow the LPGA Tour and to help them uh, grow their brand at mm. all. I mean, they could do they could do so much more with getting the women involved in tournaments and having them play. Yeah, crossover events yeah. and stuff. I mean, they could they could do so much more that let them play the uh, Zurich same, Classic. Yeah, help them yeah. play the Augusta. Na- the fact that amateur women can play Augusta and National. It's only like forty. Children can play Augusta National, and freaking the men can play Augusta, but the professional women can't play mm-hmm. Augusta National is a joke. It is an absolute. You're telling that's me that's something I've never thought of. But yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, they have the drive, chip, and putt, which is for freaking children that play yeah. at Augusta National. I mean, they're not playing. And it's the whole harder world. to get into Augusta National than it is to the White House. Yeah. So and yeah. you got the amateur women because <laughs> the Augusta National women's amateur that just came out mm-hmm. that they're playing, mm-hmm. which is good for the yeah. women's game. Great. But yeah. Why in the? But heck? that's done by Augusta as yeah. well. That's not done by the PGA Tour. Why in the heck? Are the professional women not playing at Augusta? Why are they not playing at TPC Sawgrass? Why are they not playing at these professional courses They're that do- can help grow? They are doing. Them? They are doing better with that for venues with the other three. Yeah. Well, the U.S. Open, the LPGA uh, Championship. In the uh, British Open, so you know they're taking them to Muirfield and Oakmont and stuff like that. We but. need what we need to see is co Ryder and Presidents Cups. Ooh, I would like that a that lot. That would be actually. amazing. They you would. pair up yeah. the men and women together. Yeah, and play. That's have, that's what it should be. I would. Yeah, have that'd be good. Ten, yeah. ten men, ten women. Yeah. I think that would be viable. Yeah, you get freaking. Um, like Xander and, and Lexi, I don't know, just throwing Nelly Corda. Yeah, Corda yeah. and freaking Colin Morikawa. Uh-huh. That's going to grow the ratings across the board tremendously. And that I think that'll do more for golf as well yeah. with, you know, little girls seeing exactly. these people go out. Because they're watching their dad. Maybe they're, they're hanging out with their dads. Yeah. He's got the Ryder Cup turned on mm-hmm. just to watch it. And they're seeing these girls out mm-hmm. there playing with the men. And they're going to be inspired. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's what it should be. That's helping the women grow the game, and that's something the PGA Tour doesn't do, and it bothers me. It really bothers me. It 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 should be changed. It should be different, and I wish I wish it would happen because there's yeah. so many great ideas out there that they're just not going yeah. to do. Yeah, I mean, and you don't see the LPGA Tour get a lot of main coverage either. No, I mean, no. you see like it's not even all the majors too, and it's not until the weekends even yeah. on of these majors because I will sit down and watch a women's major play but like a lot of the time you know there's pga senior tour corn Ferry tour that's getting overlaid on the golf channel to where you can't watch the lpga tour hmm. a lot of the time so i mean you know there's really only uh, to me five weeks out of the year six weeks out of the year where there's a available access yeah, to even it's watch terrible. it, it yeah. really is and i think you know, I think the men on the PGA Tour would be all for it. The guys out there playing, I think yeah. the women. Would I mean, be there's all a lot of friends. Yeah. I mean, even though they don't mingle that much. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that we just got to do. We got to bring those tours together and really grow them. You can grow them together. Yeah. Give me a Mav McNeely Danielle Kang couple. <laughs> yeah, Come on. I mean, seriously, I mean, we need to see that 
uh, a team format in a, in a big time event, like a, like I said, with the Ryder Cup, Presidents Cup. Everybody's going to tune into that. Oh, the Presidents Cup would be insane. I, I think. I mean, the Asian ladies. I mean, they're the best in the world, man. They really are. Aside from Nelly Corda, they're the best in the world. And you got some. There's some fiery women over there. I think Corda and maybe like Justin Thomas or Spieth would be one heck of. I a think it need to be Corda and yeah, Spieth or Shoffley. Yeah. yeah. That'd be just so fun to watch. She's got such a great swing, too, that people just yeah. don't really get to see. And I don't know. I think that's a definite change that needs to happen and needs to happen soon to really grow golf in, in the Americas uh, or, you know, in the United States, yeah, at yeah. least, for, yeah. for women because there's just not enough. And it's because they're not seeing it. You know, they're not – unless they go to the tournament themselves, these little girls, they're not going to watch mm-hmm. uh, on the TV at all. So it, it has to happen. It looks really like, does. Looks like both of you got a long email to write. I would be willing to fight for it because I I, I want to see it. It's going upon deaf ears, but it'll happen one day. You never know who's listening. You never know. That's that's fair. It needs to happen, man. I really hope it does. We have like one listener from Saudi Arabia. That could be Live Golf's backers. You never know. (laughs) That's fair. I'd love to see uh, Live Golf go ahead and get that started with getting the women involved. Could, man. They could start coaching some. You want to propel it, they can do that. Especially, I mean, the women don't get paid as much, you know, and the golf world either. I mean, they're taking gains as well, which could honestly lead back to live tour. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, maybe, maybe that's something they could do, uh, in the next three or five years. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I hope so. I mean, with live continuing to grow, they could definitely branch out, get the LPGA definitely ladies and start something special. I'm officially a member of the high flyers fan club. Dude, I love the high flyers. <laughs> yeah. Get some merch. I will eventually, Dude, but their store's shut down right now. Yeah, oh, no. When they get that going, I'm definitely getting some some Live Golf merch. Jameson Hartso actually has a Live Golf hat, he so does. there you go. There you go. You know someone to hit up. There yeah. you go. There you go. Well, that'll uh, that'll do it for us here. Episode 101. We will finish on 102 next week. It'll be our last week of the show as uh, the station will be closed for finals. Chris, Liam, it's... Uh, it's been a hoop, man. It has. We got one more to go. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's crazy. One more in here. You guys are coming back for your fifth years yeah. Yeah. next year. And so there is the potential of you guys coming in the station and taking over my job here as host. And, uh, and just to be clear, we are graduating. We're coming back for an MBAs. Yes. yes. So yes. we're not dumb. <laughs> yes, we aren't. We aren't failing. We're coming back for our master's degree. Yes. Yes. So if y'all get in, if y'all get in the host seat and we can phone me in, that'll be fun. Yeah, man. That'll be, that'll yeah. Be you over fun. there at Tricon Garage. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see. I'll be I'll be far away, but we'll we'll keep the show running. We'll keep you close. Zoom sure. episodes will continue it, but uh, we'll end this we'll end this on a, on a hot on a hot note. You know, we had a great show today. Uh, great to have Dr. Fowler in here. Finally, I feel like we, I hear you guys talk about him all the time on the oh, show. Oh, we've been trying to get him show. since you know September of last year. Oh yeah. Well, we waited to the last moment, but yes, at least the did. moment came. Yep. True that. Next week, uh, if you didn't hear at the beginning of the show, we will be doing, as we do every year, our way too early predictions for the NFL season. Not to be confused with our bold predictions we do after the Super Bowl. These will be, uh, we'll come in, Chris, Liam, and I, and we'll make our our way too early predictions, as they're called, for the NFL standings next year. Playoff teams, Super Bowl teams, uh, awards like MVP, Coach of the Year, all that. We will make all of this before the draft even, which, you know, we'll make these predictions, say the Lions will you know, win the Super Bowl, and then, you know, they'll, they'll mess up the draft, trade away Jerry Goff, and then, you know, our predictions are kind of screwed up. But, you know, that's that's part of the fun of it. So we've gotten a few of them right over the past, uh, a few of them wrong, a few of them close, and we'll see how we do this year. So stay tuned for that Wednesday, at 30, I believe April 19th, 6 p.m. next week, and uh, we will finish out this so strong. Sign our names on that wall, finally, that we've been staring at every True episode that. for the past yeah. four years, and we'll be, we'll be out of here. So it'll be a fun one. 
If you're on Landers campus, be sure to stop by. And uh, there's a nice off the bench poster in the media hallway you can see of us. And they're hopefully gonna get some more of those printed as well soon. So stay tuned for that as well. And look on the Instagram for that. There'll be a lot of cool posts going on in the last week for our last week of the show. And then, you know, the last couple weeks of, of my year here, since I'll be graduating in, in a few short weeks and Chris and Liam, they'll they'll be done with their bachelors and they'll be onto their masters. So we will see. Yes, we sir. will see. It'll be fun. So stay tuned for that, guys. Remember to follow us on Instagram at OffTheBenchXLR to keep up with all things Off The Bench. That is at OffTheBenchXLR Instagram. So you'll get posts, video clips, quotes, and more from the show. Just follow us there. As well, subscribe to us on our podcasting network. You can listen to all 100 and more episodes of Off The Bench on any major platform you listen to. Just look up Off The Bench on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to, and you can find all episodes of the show there. Again, that is Off The Bench on all major podcasting platforms. Remember to stay in the game and off the bench and have a good night.